Hello again, friends! And you are our friends, and welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru right here on another cold day. It is almost officially winter. It feels like it for some of us. For some reason, there are lawnmowers somewhere for some of us. But we're going to have fun today. Fun, 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 until Jim <clears throat> decides he doesn't want to do this anymore. I'm your host, the great Brian Last, and we have fun wrestling talk with Mr. Fun himself. Fun personified, Mr. Jim Cornette. I wonder who's got the lawnmowers. I just wonder. I can't imagine who has these lawnmowers that are everywhere, omnipresent, all the time, all lawn, all day, all night. Brian, you cannot be. Tell the truth. Tell the truth that you've got some kind of illegal oil drilling operation going on up there in the backyard of Last Manor out in the wilds of New Jersey where you have ensconced yourself, and, and you've, you've got something going on. They can't be mowing. How many people around there can be mowing their yards in the middle of December in New Jersey? Well, I'm assuming it's a mower. First of all, it's not me doing anything nefarious with oil drilling or whatever you're alluding to there. Well, are you fracking? We're not fracking over are here. Are you fracking up there at the, at the last manor? There's no fricking. There's no fracking. There's no, no Franklin. Fracking, fracking. Nope. None whatsoever. But what I was going to say is there's farmland nearby. <laughs> there's all sorts of big properties. So... I say lawnmowers. The cows have heavy machinery now. Well, no, but it could be anything. It could be someone just driving some kind of truck to pick up leaves. It could be (laughs) blowers of leaves. You know, again, the sucking machine (laughs) is back. It could be, I I have no idea what else is used on these properties. Can you name one goddamn... They could be chopping up corn. I don't know what they're doing. one piece of machinery that would be used on a farm at your farmland up there? Plow. Can you name one piece of... Huh? The plow. A plow. Yeah. A plow. So your your base of your farm reference is from 1856. You did you, not you, say you think when it had still to be a fucking from. fucking horse in front of it and a goddamn guy behind him. Whoa, Nelly, stay straight there. A hoe. A hoe. Well, hey, don't let your personal life get involved in this. Who you as- associate with up there in bergen new jersey hey a hoe for the farmland is what i'm talking about oh oh yeah they have hoes that 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 visit the farmers regularly to make sure they work hard but it is see you have no farming knowledge what's we got a farm i don't have a farm i don't live on a farm i live near. if you go by them you ought to see the big tractors and the combines and the thrashing machines and the the hay balers is the thrashing machine the official name? Is that its Christian name? That's that's actually, that was Taz's original gimmick, was the human thrashing machine. No, it was more embarrassing. I think it was Kid Crush. Well, we won't go into shoots here. <laughs> We're trying to entertain the people instead of shame poor Taz. Come back, shame. Uh, but anyway, I'm not going to take a jack all of shit seriously here today, just so you know, and I may go off in a few tangents. It's, it's almost Festivus. And I got a lot of problems with you people, but we are are scant days away from the only the only break, the only vacation, if you will, that uh, that we take all year long. We're going to be doing the on the buses on various subjects and topics and things from days gone by that the people have found the people, the cult of Cornette, have found entertaining and enjoyable. 
and have asked for in some cases, demanded possibly even might be a term that might be applied, while we take a few days, and unless somebody does something stupid, and then we'll be doing a breaking news update on the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel, which I assume by now everybody in the world has subscribed to. I think we're sold out of subscriptions on the YouTube. Can you still get it? Can you still subscribe to the YouTube channel, or are we sold out? No, we still have plenty of subscriptions to give out. We are on the march to a million, and we are just under 389,000 subscribers right now, so we're about to hit 400,000. I'm not going to live long enough to get to a million at this rate. Can we do another? It wasn't a fundraiser. We didn't ask people to send any money last year. I, I said, I'm, I'm almost 62. Well, now I'm past 62. And, and I want to get that plaque that says a million. And we might be mathematically, I might be eliminated in the fucking, in the death block if, if we don't hurry. So can people ask your friends and neighbors, even if you don't listen to any of the videos, just subscribe to it so I can get this while I can still cognitively understand that I'm being handed a plaque instead of a tube down my throat. If anything does happen to happen to you. Happen to happen? If anything does happen to happen to you, I guess <laughs> if anything does happen to you, <laughs> just to shorten it, should we consider a replacement Jim Cornette? Kind of like Darren on Bewitched. I don't know that anybody would take the role. Um, Maybe they could do it in a different way. I mean, this is obviously <laughs> one way. They could apply themselves and change the Jim Cornette character altogether. How would you do Jim Cornette differently? Go, but you know, it's kind of like Batman. You go back to its roots. Rich kid, what? yachting hat. Before the tennis, he was in the yachting. And you go down that road. I think that's what you do. Well, and who could we get to, to possibly be the new replacement back to his roots, 21-year-old snotty rich brat? Well, that's a question for another day. I, don't, I haven't dealt with casting yet. Well, we got to get on this thing. We're, we're, we're dealing with cast. We ought to go ahead and deal with casting, too. No, no, we're not dealing with the 21-year-old. We're dealing with someone your age, but they have a completely different backstory than oh. you do from 1983 to now. But I'm still old. Yes, but you still have the yachting cap. So, but I'm still going to be the Fifi. same. And Fifi. And Fifi. Fifi West was her Christian name. He was Ronnie West, dog. And you have a bald kid that works for you that's named Frank Morell Jr. <laughs> and he's got a black glove on his right hand. The Angel the Third. That's the <laughs> Angel the Third. <laughs> but if I'm still as old as I am now, then I'm still the same distance away from a million subscribers on YouTube. So if anything does happen to me, it'll happen to the fucking guy that's the same age, too. Guilt. Give the listeners guilt. That's what I'm trying to do. You're talking about recasting me. There's only one of me. So, folks, if I'm ever going to see the million subscribers, ask your friends and neighbors and people you don't like, say, look, you don't like me, but I'll leave you alone. I won't speak to you anymore. You subscribe to this fucking guy's channel. You don't have to listen to the shit. I just want the subscribers. It, it, that way, I've, I have few goals left. There's almost nothing that I have left to achieve, Brian. The great Brian Last End as Jim Cornette, Crispin Glover. Oh, in the all-new Jim Cornette's drive-thru. I like it. 
I've, I've, I don't know. You can be an executive producer or something. I'm going to replace me too. I'll be, well, if, if you, if I get replaced, you get replaced. But you'd be dead. I'd be alive. I'm the executive well, producer. Why would I replace myself? Out of respect and honor for the dead. Honor? What? Where's the honor falling? In this? honor of, in honor of Jim Cornette, I'm not going to do this anymore. However, I'll stay around and produce. Well, yeah, because I know you're still going to be taking a cut. <laughs> well, I'll be looking out for your interest, too. Let's be fair. All right. Anyway. Even replacement uh, Jim Cornette's interest. Look, and also, I've got a problem today, because, again, as, as you mentioned, it's very cold. It's freezing cold. When I took Harley out this morning for her morning Russo, I, it was so cold, and the wind got up, uh, up my nose. So when I came back in, I blow my nose and squish in the right ear. That thing is, it's, it's now my headphones sound like headphones on the left side and a soup can on the right side. And there's the tinnitus that's, they, would somebody answer the goddamn phone? See, that kind of thing. So I'm hampered there. You asked me if I could hear you well right as we before we went on the air and no but that's not any fault of the equipment so i'm a little cranky about that and i will say that this uh this week's experience coming up is going to be the last one before the on the bus season and uh, i've got a, a few things that i'm going to uh, have there where people it's the season people have sent some wonderful gifts to me or Stacy or Harley or all three of us. I'm going to recognize some of those people, but I have a new book that I hope I get a chance to read at least part of by then we're going to talk about, but Sean Delaney, you remember him. He's doing the history of Louisville, the history of Evansville wrestling. Thank you. Yes. He's been doing that like one book at a time. He did it like 1959, 1960, 61. And we talk Rip Hawk, the top star of the local TV show there, promoter Leon Balkin and the old Evansville Coliseum. Well, he's gotten up to, oh, God damn, I just got it in the mail. So it's either 62 or 63. And the, the book now, this new book, is one of the most unique wrestling books that I've ever read or about to read i flipped through it it's fascinating in that it's the rest of the 1960s and it's a book on wrestling in a town that had almost no wrestling during that period of time but it's the story of who kept trying to run it how it got flummoxed up how leon balkan meets his demise and then it's uh, Barnett's office out of Indianapolis, but that's right as Barnett's going to Australia and Bruiser takes over. And same thing as with Louisville. It didn't look like he gave a piss about Evansville at that point in time because he was looking north and in his hometown. And then the I, this I did not know, the Coliseum apparently for a time was closed to sporting events and things of that nature because they were using it as, as a community center. So <laughs> that's why, remember we've talked about this, when Jarrett first opened up Evansville in, what was it, early 1970, they went to Robert Stadium, the 10,000-seat fucking building, and I'm like, what, was he insane? That was the only place to go at that point. And as, as, as fortunately, because they pulled out of there fairly quickly, 
But at that point, there was a change in the building politically, locally, and he was able to get in the Coliseum and run for the next 20-something years. So this, um, I'll have more on this book, but it's fascinating because Goulas and Welch were trying to get in and run Owensboro in the 60s, and Owensboro is only an hour, not even, uh, slightly south and mostly east of Evansville, and they were trying to get in that market. And it, so it's a story of how all these things were happening where everybody kept trying to run wrestling and they couldn't fucking pull it off. It's it's It looks fascinating, is what I'm saying. But otherwise that I can't hear and I can't have time to read because I'm sitting here doing another one of these things with you. What do you want to talk about, Brian? Well, there's a, oh, don't say that. You sound so creepy. <laughs> So creepy, but uh, we have so much. You know, to talk that's about. May, that may be the only thing Cody needs to reevaluate. You know, some I gave I gave up the yachting hat after a while. It just wasn't practical. Kept going through too many of them. It was a pain in the ass keeping them in stock. They kept getting squished into boxes. These things sometimes they don't all work. But you would have made a killing on gimmick sales in the future when you were yes, a babyface. It, it for, for that brief shining moment. That would have been the one thing that Turner uh, got right, was the merchandising of <laughs> Yacht Captain Jim Cornette. They tried it with Mike Rotunda. It didn't work. You know, in all honesty, it's one of those things. The Turner people liked me, and Steve Chamberlain at Turner Home Entertainment, and, you know, with the, the crew in the at the Techwood Drive studio, because I was in, we've talked about this, I was in the control room a lot, either conferring with Dusty or just standing in the corner watching how this shit worked and Dusty didn't run me out because I didn't bother anybody and he knew what I was doing. But they kept asking me to do the extra shit, right? I was kind of having to go down to fucking Atlanta if I had a day off or even an early afternoon before going somewhere. Remember the season season's beatings clash of champions commercial where I'm in the rocking chair. Do you, you remember that, don't you? Yeah, of course. Well, you didn't pi pipe in and fucking agree. Oh with man, me, I've never seen anyone rock the way you rocked in that. No, chair. I wasn't saying complimented. I was just saying you remember it, right? It's not like I'm just <laughs> rambling. Like I'm a goddamn fucking Alzheimer's patient here. Remembering shit that didn't happen. Trying to get some validation from my co-host that I'm telling the truth. It was such a deep shot at the Rock and Roll Express, you rocking in the All chair. Right. But anyway, and I had the Santa Claus racket cover, and I recited the Christmas put Twas the night before Christmas, and I can't remember what the fuck. But basically, they wrote me a little 30-second Christmas poem. Seasons beatings to all and to all a good fight. But then in front of the Christmas tree. Was that before you started doing your annual Christmas poems? That was at the, at the same time, as a matter of fact, because that was <laughs> that was the Clash of Champions. It was the Midnight Express against Flair and Wyndham, and that was right after Crockett had sold in Christmas 88. I did my first fucking Christmas poem, which, you know, we may have to, God damn it, hold on. I'm going to write this down. You can cut this out if you want to. I'm gonna write, <laughs> we can leave it Read. In. Read my Christmas poems. Yes, an annual tradition. Experience. I'll try to remember not to tear these notes up. Were you inspired but, to write the poem by sitting in the rocking chair with the Santa hat on, reading? No, the I'd already, I'd already written it. I think around Thanksgiving, probably. <laughs> I was still real pissed off. 
<clears throat> but anyway, and then Dick Murdoch loved those. I sent them in my Christmas cards to everybody I sent Christmas cards to that was in the wrestling business, not my Aunt Lola. And uh, <laughs> Murdoch loved them. Every time I'd see him next time, he oh, goddamn Cornette. That sounded like Terry there, but they all sound like Terry from Amarillo. Anyway, where I was go, where was I going with this? You've thrown me completely the fuck off now. Uh, what was the, I was trying to make the, oh, the extra work, the TBS stuff. Or the other commercial or the thing with uh, Grandpa Munster and the su Super Scary Saturday. Or the deal they when they had Eddie Haskell, uh, Ken Osmond to promote the new Leave it to Beaver that they had revived. They had to have me in her, which was cool at the clash me do the thing. But the point is, is that I ribbed myself because I did a good job for them and took an interest and they liked that. So I didn't get paid extra for any of this shit. I didn't get a goddamn, I don't even remember if they fucking sent a car for me to bring me from the airport for the fucking Christmas commercial. So it was a rib. It was like I Kansas cityed myself. The Eddie Haskell thing, though, Ken Osmond was a little weird because I was at the first clash and you had to interview him as Eddie Haskell, not as the actor. It wasn't an interview. It was a conversation with Jim Cornette and Eddie Haskell. Yes, because here's what the, we came in and and I think it was Steve Chamberlain there, but also the other guy from TBS. Goddamn it. Now I'm I'm old enough. Forgot his name. But. Is that anyway. I don't want to call wrong names. And uh, so they said, yeah, you're going to do a bit with uh, Ken Osmond, who plays Eddie Haskell on New Life. Obviously, I know who he is. I've been watching Leave it to Beaver since I almost came out of the Beaver. And it, that's it. He said, well, yeah, you guys do a bit. And he'll plug the show. Okay. You know, they did. They just see you guys make it up. So I've got the goddamn Midnight fucking Fantastics match. And then they tell us we got eight minutes or whatever on TV. And we're trying to fucking figure that out. And they pre-taped that because that was an afternoon show. Remember that was opposite WrestleMania on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Like a 4 PM start maybe. Okay. So we probably got there at, at noon or after knowing the Carolinas and in, in those days. And so literally I said, hello to Ken Osmond. And we went over, I said, what would you like to do, sir? Cause I don't, you know, he's to me at that point, he was still the TV star, right? I watched him. I don't, he didn't know what the fuck was going on with wrestling. And he just did his thing. They had told him, you know, I'm a mama's boy and you're a fucking, let me try this again. They had told him. So he's saying to me, you're a mama's boy. And I'm a spoiled, you know, smart ass. Yeah, however he termed it. So let's just do this shit for a minute and a half. We just came up with some shit. And that's how that... But again, that's the thing is, if you... Sometimes, if you make yourself available, you end up doing a lot of extra shit, but sometimes you don't get paid for it. Imagine if they had sent Barbara Billingsley. Now that, I would have been glad to interview Barbara Billingsley. And find out just exactly why that her husband, Ward, was so hard on the beaver all the time. It would have been so funny if they made her like a friend of your mom's. She's like, I'm here <laughs> to talk to you. You're not behaving, Jimmy. No, no. And, and, and you know what? They should have found They should have found out whether, uh, oh my God, what was the actress's name that played Milburn Drysdale's wife on the Beverly Hillbillies? Oh, I can't believe I've gone blank on her. 
But they should have found out if she was still alive, she could have been my mother. Anyway. All right. So what do you want to talk about? What? I, that's what I asked you a few minutes ago when you shit it's all my over. show. Well that's, well, that's why I was asking you. So what do you want to talk about? Oh, God damn it. Well, you know, we could talk about the goddamn various things that are going on in the world of wrestling today. But Boring. Okay. Um, in that case, how, how much money do you think that fucking CM Punk made the WWE or TKO or the goddamn Federal Reserve, whoever owns that fucking place these days, in, in one night this past Monday night on Raw. Should we start there? Hey, who's going to be the wrestler that gets to the point where they can negotiate for a piece of the ad revenue on YouTube for their own videos? How much money has he made them in YouTube ad revenue in just the last Ooh. two weeks? Very interesting. Because, you know, and that's the thing is that everybody in the wrestling business, well, everybody that wanted to make money, all the wrestlers, I should say, in days gone by through the history of the wrestling business, that were really serious about wanting to make money, always wanted to get in the office, always wanted to get a piece of a town or a piece of the promotion or a piece of whatever, points in it. And that's impossible now for a any kind of a promotion that makes any kind of fucking money. The talent can never be part owner. That's that's gone now. But it seems like that a royalty deal that is more favorable then the standard take what we send you, and if you don't agree with it, get a lawyer and try to fucking sue us uh, operation currently is. And there's so many different ways to make revenue now, as you've just brought up. Is that the next uh, crusade for Stephen P. New when he finishes saving West Virginia and then rights all the wrongs in the wrestling business? He's almost done there. Well, think about it. It makes sense. And unlike DVDs or VHS, or even streaming, you can really isolate what people are watching. So you could really pay royalties as fairly as ever because you'll know who's drawing the house and who isn't. But now what about when the, the, the guy who plays a druid that CM Punk runs by and clotheslines on the way to the ring to make his big debut or whatever, you know what I'm saying, some ancillary character in the piece said, so, well, wait a minute. They were looking at me, too. How do we adjudicate that? Well, I think this is something, again, that would need to be negotiated on a star-by-star, superstar-by-superstar basis until it became standard. And then once it's standard, I mean, just common sense applies. Unless there's an extra rule, the stars of the video <laughs> are the ones who get the royalties off the video. If the video is CM Punk face-to-face -face with Seth Rollins, the referee who pops in to do something doesn't get a cut, unless they want to give him a cut, which some wrestlers may do. But I think for royalties that have gone away, YouTube is the great equalizer. You know exactly who's drawing what. Well, as far as, as that goes, you are correct, but also, apparently, we know who's drawing what in TV ratings. <laughs> And that's and that's actually where I was going with the topic originally, although he's a, he's a rainmaker. Listen to the rhythm of the falling rain. Money's falling from the fucking sky. Cause CM Punk got canned at his previous job 
and Tony Khan looks like a snob. If he increased the quarter from previous quarter and and then it had a drop concurrent in the post quarter of his appearance on Raw by the by the entire collision audience now. That was just his increase of the quarter hours. At a time where now correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, because you keep up with the business. You know me, I'm 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 big picture. I'm not worried. I'm an old hippie. I'm not worried about the financial gain. But they did the SmackDown deal, right? Did they, what does that mean? They did the SmackDown what, deal. Smack they, they Who did what the, the who? The WWE has done the the TV rights deal for oh, SmackDown. Yeah, SmackDown in 2024 will be going from Fox to the USA Network, the longtime home of Monday Night Raw and uh for yeah. the last few years NXT. Yeah, and they did the the um the NXT deal, right? Right. NXT, which a lot of people thought was going to be packaged with Raw, ended up being not sold off, but worked on separately and will be will, banished. Well, no, not banished, but we'll be Chained going in the bowels of a slave ship. We'll be going to well, I guess we could still in a sense call network TV, syndicated TV, yes. but it will be going to the CW. So it'll be in a ton right. of new markets and potentially available to a whole lot more people. Right. But there's one more deal that they ain't done yet, right? The raw deal. And and guess who's not going to get a raw deal on the raw deal? Because as soon as that's the only one they've got left to do, and wouldn't you know who won the pony, ladies and gentlemen? CM Punk not only makes his triumphant return to the company, but appears on Raw to make his decision on what the fuck's going on. Doesn't go on at fucking five minutes to goddamn midnight or whatever. Is the first one. And signs with Raw and does a goddamn monster fucking ratings jump for the quarter against two, apparently, of the professional ball games that were on the, the other night. And right when they're doing the negotiations, this makes perfect fucking sense. These people are playing 3D chess when Tony Khan has still got Tinker Toys. And... and, and and he's going to make them a fucking... We're talking tens of millions of dollars difference now, maybe, if he can pop these numbers, get in the shit people want to see, to get the attention he's continuing to get, positive, negative, it makes no difference. When he goes to Mindy's Bakery, I'm surprised they don't have goddamn people debating the fucking order. No, that motherfucker, he's going to order those goddamn brand muffins. Well, what if he likes the brand muffins? What's the matter with the brand? And they bet he's Captain Queeg to some people, and he's goddamn Mother Teresa to other people, but they pay attention. So the point is now this continues to get even more entertaining to me that the guy that would still be under contract to AEW and appearing on their television programs and pay-per-views, major motion pictures and sitcoms, baby, is now literally making the difference in tens of millions of dollars in revenue to the company that they allowed him to just walk out and go to. 
But come on, let's be fair. If the Bucks had not re-signed or if Jungle Boy had been released and they had ended up here at the same time doing the same kind of things, it would have been just as big because they're just as big of stars. As, <laughs> they're just as big of paws. Yeah, CM Punk. Uh, but Jim, a few th- we'll, we'll get to the Raw ratings in a moment, but I want to bring this up to you because it's interesting. You know, a lot of people said that they could see Warner Discovery becoming interested because of the, I guess, previous comments attributed to David Zasloff that he was one Bill Phil, and certainly we've seen what Collision has settled into without one Bill Phil, and we've seen all the general AEW issues. Then word came out that no, they're not going to be talking to Raw. They turned down Raw when, or they turned down Nick Khan when he wanted to talk to them earlier this year was the word. Who, who, whose word is that? Well, that's some of the reports going around. I don't have anything in front of me, but I've seen those reports. Mm. And then Dave Meltzer yesterday tweeted <laughs> out, things are changing greatly. Let's just say things changed greatly with raw negotiations from a few weeks ago. Ah, ah, and punk ah. is a huge part of the selling point. So uh, Uncle D- Uncle Dave makes this admission in public, if you will? Well, again, first of all, it's a very vague tweet saying nothing. I don't know why you would do that unless you're just really hopped up for social media engagement. Say something or say nothing, not things are changing greatly. I, I think he knows he knows something's happening, and he doesn't either know what or even want to say what or admit to what, but he has to say that something's happening because later on when something happens and everybody knows about it, they'll say, well, Uncle Dave didn't know anything was happening. Yeah, well, let's see, because word went around about a week and a half ago that the deal was done. So if all of a sudden it's a different deal or they're not, or they're doing something different, it's going to be very interesting here, but CM Punk, if you're a network, if you're a major company that owns a network, whatever it may be, and you see everything that WWE can present to you, which is the same shit they're presenting to the audience at home. Look at the social media engagements. Look at how big the video was on YouTube. Look at how big it was on TikTok, on every single social media platform. And this guy's going to be the star of this show. (laughs) Three hours. Here's how much we were getting. Here's how much of a bump we think we deserve. But wait a minute, and don't even gloss over the fact that it's already a program that draws at least double the amount of viewers that the existing program that they have draws, and two of the people drawing that, and potentially more, are people that were on their network within the last two fucking years. Oh my god, can you imagine if they brought Raw to Warner Discovery, and then they bring back for season two Roads to the Top? (laughs) <laughs> when we last yeah. left you <laughs> it, would be, it would be roads to the moon <laughs> they'd have to they'd have to bring the robot back i wonder if bob may is still doing voiceover work to do the robot and 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 there's cody is obviously danger. john robinson danger and, brandy and brandy brandy is is june or not June Lockhart. June Lockhart was a real name, Jim. June Lockhart. <laughs> it's Maureen. Yes. Or Jim, well, she'd probably want to be June Robinson. And they could bring back Marco Stunt to be Will. Because he's an annoying little wow. brat that always fucking gets at everybody's fucking craw. You really have gone over the edge. Now you're recommending they bring back Marco Stunt for this project? <laughs> That's how much you want to see this project take off. Well, we'll see what happens. That would that would be amazing, though, if you really think about 
like beyond the AEW, WWE, just the idea that this station, if they ever did go with WWE Raw, they would have Punk and Cody Rhodes in their promos on that station for two different programs within like three years. Well, and and let's back up on this for a second before we go anywhere else. Of course, it's your show. I'll follow, I will follow you wherever you may lead. But just focus on being, whether David Zaslav, he's the head of the whole the whole shooting match, as they say, right? The whole for now. kit and caboodle. Yes, for now. But he's not even the programming guy. He's the 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 boss. So, because programming people are important, but the boss is more important than the programming people. He has a wrestling program, and he's not the one that was there when they made the deal. Remember, he was. He's a. He's the the new boss. Maybe not same as the old boss. Can I stop you for a second? Yes. Because this is one of the things I always found funny, and now it's worth talking about at this very moment. The story early on was that Tony Khan was just suddenly inspired by things in Japan that he said, gosh darn it, I'm going to take my inheritance that my dad's just throwing at me, and I'm going to lose it all on a wrestling company. No, I'm going to start a wrestling company because I have a relationship with someone from the network who knows me, and they didn't know about the history of wrestling there, and I told them, and they gave me a he deal. He ran into him at a cocktail party or some type of business function for their football and broadcasting and various enterprises that they were in. Everything, you know, makes sense. But then they started saying this part out loud very early on. And this company will become huge once we get a television rights renewal from this same company that we're doing business with. They bet their whole business on a major rights renewal. That's what Tony was selling to Dave Meltzer. That well, Dave remember, it, it, at first they, were, they signed a deal where it put us on the air and the network would pay for the production cost because Tony had unlimited funds to pay the wrestlers and blah, 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 blah. And then a few months in, because they actually did, he did come up with a company because people are saying, oh, because of the tremendous success. No, because he actually came up with a company, which when they made the original deal did not even exist. Then they said, okay, we'll pay you a rights fee because now we know you can actually do this shit. You can give us a program. And then they started paying the rights fee and now they're up for renewal. So this will be the third, technically the third deal that they've had with these people. And the point is, over that four years, this guy was not the guy that was in charge then. He was not the guy that Tony originally talked to. They've inherited this already. I, that's correct, I'm assuming. Right? As the way I remember it. Right. So, this guy now says, wait a minute, we got a wrestling program on our network where two of the wrestlers that we've had go to the goddamn WWE and they fucking, they're drawing huge numbers at everything they fucking do, and they're featured in main events. Why, what the fuck, why don't we go for, if we're going to have wrestling, why don't we have that shit? Well, here's a question for you. If you were a businessman, WWE or no WWE, would you bet long-term on Tony Khan? If you're dealing with all sorts of people in the entertainment industry, and you have a company that's less popular than it was a few years ago, draws smaller numbers than they did a few years ago, constantly has drama, their top stars leave. Whenever they, these... say, they say fuck a lot on TV. Yeah, well, you want to talk about fuck whenever the fucking Endeavor guys are having lunch all over town, they're talking about what a <laughs> shit show it is over at AEW. <laughs> Do you want to deal with that? Or 
Now, again, they, as everyone believes at this point, they own a piece to non-voting share, but if it's 30% and they're getting 30% of the profits, it can't be that because there well, are no they're, profits. They're, Jerry, there are no profits, Jerry. There are no profits. Yeah, so they're getting so 30% they, of the revenues. Yeah, and we'll talk later on about, because there's been a whole bunch of stuff about the AEW financials rumored out there. I mean, nothing's a fit, not rumored, but reported on without any actual solid financial <laughs> Re- facts. Reported on without any actual knowledge of the product. <laughs> Speculated and extrapolated on by what's been reported and uttered by some people's own chicken lips is basically what we've got. But to go back to this, CM Punk has made a difference already in merch. He's the biggest merch seller there so far, and you would expect that going in there and, you know, everything that's happening. He's already now been announced for two house shows, big ones at the end of the year at the Garden. Madison Square Garden. Yeah. So they're doing that for a reason, and I'm sure he's going to move some tickets. We already know what he's done for their social media, for their YouTube, for their television ratings. Again, if you've done business with him and you didn't have a problem with him (laughs) and you see everyone else did and then you look at all these results, you know, WWE has an incredible sales package to bring all over town. AEW doesn't. And Brian, if only somebody could have foreseen this this chain of events happening, that if Punk was to, to somehow be allowed to get away from AEW, that he could easily walk right into the Survivor Series in Chicago. No, they'll never take him back. He's evil and mean. Because he he would immediately been be pushed into the main event spot because of the potential matchups and the new ownership. They're trying to maximize revenues. Who could have possibly conceived something like this that would make so much sense? They would never do it. He hit two bucks and scared Jungle Boy. Who in the world could have put things like this on tape or even whatever we put it on now in this modern age and broadcast it to the world for months before it actually happened because it made fucking sense. He's a liar. He lied about his dog's teeth. Don't hire him. He'll kill the company. Don't you bring Larry into this. God damn you. I will. I will browbeat you forever if you bring Larry into this. Larry's not even real. It was a lie. I love Larry. He is too real. He sent Harley a Christmas card. You can't trust punk around the women or the men. You can't have him there. He's He's dangerous. He's around all of them in the WWE, and so far he's neither punched anyone nor assaulted anyone, nor apparently, as far as we know, been rude to anyone, except for Seth Rollins. He's a danger to society and catering! <laughs> Get him out! Triple H will never put up with him! They they shook hands the other day for a picture, didn't they, on the, on the Twitter? The AEW fans still holding on to the dream are the most delusional fans out there right now. They're still fans holding on to the dream. And don't worry, the Bucks will be back soon to save the company. Don't worry. But, Keep ignoring reality. You know what? I'll be the voice of reason for once. I told you I wasn't taking shit seriously today, so that's why I'm going to be the voice of reason. You just painted a large group with the same brush. You said the AEW fans. There are the AEW fans that like the fucking, you know, hip, 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 gymnastics exhibition with the saber dance behind it on the Ed Sullivan show where they're all fucking tumbling in 
unison with each other, but there are some fans that just wanted to see something else besides the WWE, which, of course, even now that they're better, we still would like to see a little faster-moving product. But it's not that... But the problem is this was never going to be it. Because, again, Tony couldn't accept that if he funded something that professionals were in charge of and professionals made professional decisions about professional talent instead of who was, you know, the fucking, what do they call it across the pond? The fucking queen's tits or one of those expressions on the indies at that particular point in time. In, in, and a long-term plan and an infrastructure in place in all facets before and behind the camera that involved people with experience on not only wrestling, but how to broadcast a goddamn television and produce a wrestling program that didn't have to listen to Tony Khan's delusions that he learned in his e-fed or whatever when he was a teenager with the other two guys that he's talked about so i'm not maligning him i'm reporting his biography from his own lips that's the problem that's what i knew from the start why get invested in this goddamn thing because ultimately it's going to fall apart like all these other this is taking a lot longer because Hundreds of millions of dollars goes a long way. I know that's a surprise. But remember the fucking guy that won the lottery in South Carolina? He was a 19-year-old kid living in his, with his mom. And he won like, I don't know how many million dollars. And he goddamn went to start a fucking women's wrestling league. Wrestlicious. And he even had Jimmy Hart working for him. It's Wrestlelicious, baby. And they did television tapings and everything. And guess where he was when he was 21 years old, Brian? Broke. And living with his mother. Is that, but it's just... It, now that's Wrestlelicious. You know, that, that's, that was their, their commercials. Uh, yeah. Well, what's Tony, up? Tony Khan could have been the savior of wrestling if he'd have assembled a goddamn group of about 10 people in various positions with experience in the wrestling business say here here is unlimited money and i can get you on tbs television put this together for me pick a goddamn roster let's see who we can buy out or accumulate what is the plan for the the style that we're going to be presenting what is the goddamn thing that can make us different from the WWE and we can stay away from their weakness, uh, stay away from their strengths and focus on their weaknesses? Or something like that. But instead, he went to his childhood notebooks and brought all that to life with every indie darling that the people that he was most fascinated by went to school with or rode up and down the road with. But Jim, let's get all the CM Punk stuff out of the way right now, and let's do it a little bit differently. Let's talk about Punk on Raw after we talk about the ratings, just because that ties into what we've been just talking about. Right, because we don't want to be talking about different shit that we had not been talking about yet. 
That's right. I, you I know think, what I'm talking about? I, I don't know what you're talking about, but no, let's go to don't. let's go to this and talk about this. Monday Night Raw this past week, the overall average number, and the uh, date on this was December 11th on the USA Network, 1,466,000 viewers. But, Brian Last, and as you said, we will go into more detail about the actual appearance. It came at, uh, I'm looking at my notes... Oh, God damn it. Um, and I'm, the nine o'clock hour. The, ah, the nine o'clock hour. See, I was starting from the back because the, before they put him on at 10 fucking 52, remember? But the nine o'clock hour and the, I have this jotted down from the documentation that I saw the previous quarter hour before the punk appearance did 1,504,000, right? That is correct. The punk quarter and his face-off with uh, Seth Franklin Rollins did 1,881,000. It was not only the high point of the show, it was a jump of 377,000 people, which, is, as we mentioned, is Oftentimes, the entire audience of Collision these days, and definitely better than Rampage. Well, in the key demo alone, the quarter before was 657, 657,000 viewers. They jumped to 814, <laughs> which was the high point in the show. And then after that segment, back down to 567. And as a matter of fact, after that segment, they dropped to 1,432,000. So they lost 449,000 people after that. Okay, Punk's done. Well, the other problem is, oh, that Punk segment was great. Should I go to the bathroom or should I see what's on? What's on next? Oh, it's Valhalla and Ivar, <laughs> followed by a Bronson Reed video, and then Ivar versus Reed with a bunch of commercials in between. That's a commercial for everyone, uh, or that's a segment for everyone to go take a bathroom break. Yes, or make a sandwich or you know, do something of, of a constructive nature. But to, again, that was the... Remember, we've talked about the WWE ratings do not lose from start to finish of 20 or 25% or sometimes 30% of the audience like the AEW shows do. Raw does lose in the last hour because it's three fucking hours. And they're, they're usually somewhat consistent in that they're not all over the... But this is a spike. This is... At that point, that was 20-something percent of the audience that, that or 20-something percent jump in the audience. And you can't ignore something like that. What the fuck did... And against a couple of football games. So, you know, people, that's probably... A lot of the fucking people watch the football games are starting or clicking back and forth to see when the fuck is punk going to do this, and then I'll get out of it again. They almost did as many viewers in the key demo as AEW Dynamite does overall. So there you go. Monday night in the key demo. Well, it's a but that's it's an all it's a different tune for that song. I'll tell you. <laughs> As as the dream machine would say, they're about to start uh, doing some sad singing and slow walking. But but that's that's the point I wanted to make is at the perfect time for their rights renewal, 
they've done and for their business and pay-per-view and Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, they did the exact thing that made perfect fucking sense all along, which is why we said it has to be fucking done, because these people, ultimately, when it's uh, tens of millions of dollars are on the line, they do shit that makes sense. Well, speaking about things that make sense, I don't know how much of Raw you uh, think you're going to be talking about here, but why don't we... uh... We're talking about the segment and the ratings it did. Why don't we talk about the punk segment right now? Well, I think we should, because it's it's only one page in. There wasn't much in the first hour to fucking notate. No. And this is why we call it the big nine o'clock hour right here. The big nine o'clock hour. Um, and Adam Pierce was in the ring, and he introduced, of course, the man who's going to make his decision. Where is he going to go? CM Punk. And suddenly... Like Mussolini oh. in a best-selling tee. <laughs> Good job. That he got good. the ovation. He got the viewers. He got the ratings. He's selling merchandise. The music comes down. He's got the chance. And Pierce hands him the mic. And here's the thing about... We'll talk about the story he told in a second, but the fact... Again, he told a story... He talks to people. Everybody else almost is talking at them, reciting things to them, at them, but he's not talking, or they're not talking to the people. And in, in the wrestling, in the territory days especially, whether everybody likes it or not, uh, the heels, but uh, even the over baby faces, they were over-the-top personalities or they were boisterous or they were trash talkers or shit disturbers that got you interested in themselves and and what the fight was and that, that they were going to be involved in, the issue. That was what drew money. In modern times, it is it is unfashionable to have a personality or to be a, a boisterous, shit-talking fucking over-the-top fucking yahoo like goddamn handsome Jimmy Valiant or whatever the fuck, but the, the, the point still remains that you have to believe what somebody is saying. So even if, again, having a personality these days is frowned upon in this environment, Punk has a personality. You know, he's got that twinkle in his eye, as Mama Cornette might say. He's got that smart-ass tone edge, but at the same time, you believe he's probably a good guy until maybe he's not. But he talks to people. He tells them a story. He says shit that sounds like he believes it. In a lot of cases, he does. It is genuine. And he then, as Jerry Jarrett used to say, tell people the truth as long as you can, that they know to be the truth. Because then when you work them for the sake of the wrestling, they don't know where one starts and the other stops. But Punk is, he talks to people. He's genuine in that respect. And a lot of these people, to them, he's come back to wrestling for the first time. They didn't, they didn't pay enough attention. It wasn't this week or their week to watch AEW where they had paid enough attention that there was another wrestling show. So for this, it's brand new for these people. So he's breaking a little bit of, the same ground, but in a different fashion and in a whole lot bigger platform. But do you do you agree with me on that? That almost everybody, Brian, these days, we talk about it, reciting, memorized. It's like 
they might as well have a guy doing an in-ring promo just open on the ring with curtains and have the curtains open and he, you know, by the last breath of the four winds that blow, I'll have revenge upon Fortunato. It's a fucking play. You can't believe it on an emotional level or get interested in somebody, except for a few of the breakthrough wordsmiths. Just wait until they have a 20-minute segment with Cody and Punk in the ring in the future, because then it'll really show the dichotomy between the ways of speaking. But WWE has a lot of that, and some guys pull it off. LA Knight speaks above the audience, but to them. Punk is telling a story in a down-to-earth way, whether you like him or not. That's just the way he delivers it. Yes. And then you have people, I mean, I hate to single out one of your favorites, but like Austin Theory. I can't believe anything this guy says. He doesn't know how to deliver it yet. He was he was headed in that direction, and then he just kind of started floundering in every category. But I think it still can be there, but the, somebody needs to be working on it. He needs to be working on it. He might, might ought to be in goddamn, not even NXT. He ought to be in OVW. <laughs> somebody in two TV markets is seeing him, give him the whole show, and let him just take over and see if he can bring it out. But nevertheless... But the other issue is not a lot of guys... Let, well, let me say what, what you said. Hold on, I'm still respond to find you as far as cody there's room for that too because he's so dramatic dusty was dramatic in his own every man son of a plumber way you've got la knight who's the the wrestler guy you've got cm punk who's the modern guy you've got fucking cody who's the dramatic guy it's in the territories. Everybody was different. They had a different style, personality, outlook, except for the people who were just there to just fucking wrestle, and they could be interchangeable. So it's oh, they, they're they're baby faces. And Jey Uso, I think he's different than all. Of, he's yeeting all over the place. That, nobody else is yeeting. So they're all different. That's what they've got going for them too. I think Triple H may have figured this out. That what Vince, Vince was just cookie cutter in a lot of fucking people. What I was going to say is Punk has one thing also going for him in that he's already a star and he's established how he talks, when he talks, what he does. A lot of people would not get that opportunity to go out there and be more natural in what they're saying and not just tighten yeah. on the script. But unfortunately, from a lot of the guys that I see, the way they do the written stuff, I'm not sure they'd be that much better at the fucking ad lib. But anyway, so Punk, the promo, he drew the analogy to Cleveland and that arena and what it had meant to him through his career. He, you know, had his, like his, I don't know if it was a tryout, dark match, whatever, but he debuted in Cleveland and they, uh, he passed that test apparently and got sent to OVW. And then he came back later on when he was on the roster to Cleveland as the world champion, and I guess that's where Orton kicked him in the head and he got a concussion and they stripped him of the title. And then that was where that he did the, uh, he basically walked out and, as he said, took himself off the hamster wheel 10 years ago, almost to the day. And everybody in Cleveland that was there, they're the faithful WWE fans, they knew that to be true. And so then he said, you know, if anybody was disappointed or betrayed because I, because I went home, because I couldn't take it, whatever, 
He felt the same way when Piper went to WCW. So if you were mad at me, I understand and I apologize. Why couldn't he say I'm sorry to the Bucks? Because <laughs> he wasn't. <laughs> and then, you know, he talked about the offers that everybody made, but Pierce put the best deal together of all. See, if Punk is not going to be beating Pierce up in the near future, I do not believe. Like, Orton can get away with with Aldis because of the different personality and dynamic. And his mind was made up when he saw Cleveland on the schedule. Ten years ago, I walked out. Now I've walked right back in. And congratulations, Adam Pierce. CM Punk is home. And he signed the contract. And that's, again, that's perfect. You know, he, he takes you on the ride with him with enough of the inflections and asides and everything. But at the same time, you don't get, it's not like, oh God, can he get to the point? Oh God, I wish this would be over. Like a lot of the other stuff, because it's not coming from their heart and their mind. And there's not, a, you know, when, when they've got these other guys saying these ridiculous things, there's not that level of connection. But I thought a good job there. Boom, gets the pop. And uh, do you have any comments before the worm turns? Good job there at some of the points where he was talking, like you said, not really speaking at the audience or past the audience. They got quiet to hear what he was going to say. And I wanted to see how they were going to react there. A good promo, though. And then here comes the music of Seth Franklin Rollins. <laughs> and, and he still gyrated and capitulated to the ring. But when they get in the ring, there's the big face-off and the stare-down, and they milked it. And it, and a while, and the fans first, it, they started to rumble, and they started to, whoa, or, oh, goddamn, I can never remember his tune. Oh, whoa, whatever the fuck. They did his. And then, as soon as Seth says, welcome to Monday Night Rollins, and said, don't dare call this place your home. Well, then they start chanting for punk. And they've created a dynamic here where they're not switching Seth baby or heel. He's just not going to goddamn have him. He's the, there's always the one SOB in every crowd, right? And, but at the same time, the people are glad and happy to see punk back. And so, the, but they're interested in this. And Seth's story is you abandoned this place 10 years ago and you spent that time trying to tear it down and slandered everybody. <laughs> it's my home and the talent are my brothers and sisters and I'm going to protect the fans from people like you. He says, I, with every fiber of my being, I hate you. <laughs> I wish he just said, I loathe you. From hell's heart. From hell's heart. I loathe you from hell's heart. But he said, but if, if you're going to be part of the WWE, I want you on Raw. Because the truth always comes out, and this is your last chance. Either you're going to self-destruct and blow up and you'll be done, or if by a miracle you have changed and you've got enough, enough gas left in your tank or whatever, maybe then you're going to fight me for the world title and I'll expose you for a fraud and show you that I'm the best in the world. And the whole time Punk is, is looking at him and sitting there and taking it. And then he says, "Are you, Punk says, are you, are you done? Then that's your one pass to talk to me disrespectfully and get away with it. 
just frivolously, if you will. And then it, it, he called, Punk called for Adam Pierce at A. Just to let you know, CM Punk is entering the Royal Rumble. And when I win, maybe it's you that I'm going to be coming after. Because remember, we were speculating, if you will, mental masturbation on who, if he wins the Rumble, he might challenge. And let's face it, so far the real champion in everybody's mind is Roman Reigns, but it, if you've got Seth Rollins and now CM Punk, and Punk was to win that, then you're starting to make a case for it, maybe. But anyway, point is they they then left in a huff, as they say. And that was 15 minutes, and it wasn't boring for one of the first times in Raw history. Great segment. Leaves you wanting more. I'll say this about Rollins. I think he does one of the best serious faces there. When he's not talking, <laughs> when he's not laughing, either him just looking dead on at the person and obviously being angry or him slightly smirking, that's so effective. Yeah. And the fact that when Punk says that's your one free shot, he didn't break into like just hysterical laughter or something. Because then Punk would have had to have done something. It played out perfectly and it leaves you wanting more and it leaves you wanting Rollins versus Punk at some point. I can I can see both of those guys for obviously for the same reason of wanting to get the thing over both of those guys realizing or knowing that Seth can't really cackle too much over this if he really fucking hates the guy which is the point of the whole thing he's he wouldn't be doing his whole you know he would be the boogeyman, handsome Jimmy Valiant with the fucking eye patch on going and I will <laughs> instead of whoo messy. So hopefully we'll get more of that. And Punk in the Rumble. Again, they have Cody announced yeah. for the Rumble. They have Punk announced for the Rumble. Well, I think we knew Punk was going to be in the Rumble as soon yeah, as, of course as we did. you know, we saw him. But, I, you know, at least he's he's come out and said it. My gosh, with over a month to promote it. Imagine that. He's going to be working a couple of house shows already announced. MSG and I think one in California. Do you have him wrestle on TV before the Rumble? I asked you this before. Do you have him wrestle before the Rumble? And you said, no, why would you? And now they announced it for house shows. Well, but that's okay. We should have put a finer point on that question. I, w I still would not have him wrestle on television before the Rumble unless it is. Hey, let, me go, let me go back on that now as I'm saying it. If it was a perfect opportunity with an opponent that you know, he could just shine with a little short something and somebody run in and do something physical, whatever the fuck, if they're doing an angle, that's fine. I would not give a legitimate main event, top restaurant quality CM Punk match away on free television before the Rumble, but a match to reassure the people in their mind that he can still go because they haven't seen him in 10 years and what the fuck he can do, and then maybe to juice something up for the Rumble, I could see doing that. But uh, house shows I wasn't even thinking about, but in Madison Square Garden, yeah, I'd, I'd add Punk to Madison fucking Square Garden. They'll draw a million dollars. I mean, they were going to draw close to that, if not more anyway. They'll draw another several hundred thousand, probably, if they add him. So, yeah, the Garden, if if it's California... Los Angeles or the greater 
Hollywood, California market, whatever the fuck. Yes, I can see doing that. But and the people there live are going to see it. But that doesn't spoil anything related to a nationally televised pay per view. Well, Jim, they say that CM Punk is straight edge. In fact, he says it. And in fact, he uses the straight edge of a knife to cut his steak for dinner from Omaha Steaks, I presume. How the fuck did you even remotely get there in your head before you blathered it out or dribbled it out, I should say? Magic. You know, you got it. We got to do an old time radio show just to use those sound effects. <laughs> and the killer is revealed to be the guy that killed your cow at Omaha Steaks, folks, because it's time. And there he goes, as a matter of fact. That's what the, the sound the cow makes right before he goes to his great reward. You know what your great reward, <laughs> reward will be? Is, is the smiles on people's faces when you feed them that cow. And that's the cow that our friends at Omaha Steaks are going to send you, along with they've got chickens, they've got whatever thing goes into the Jumbo Franks, they got plenty of those too. They've, they've got, got all kinds of that's stuff. That's right. Beef and beef products and meat Jeez. and pork and chicken and all, and apple tartlets. Don't forget those. And of course, I'm potatoes. Not, and I'm not forgetting any of those things. And all parts of those animals and many more go, go, go in the gourmet Jumbo they Franks. Gore. They gore they right gore into in there. <laughs> you can gore apple uh, fans, the butchers cut filet mignons, <laughs> the mouth-watering burgers. <laughs> you just got where that was from. The gourmet jumbo franks, the easy-to-prepare meals, the folks at Omaha Steaks, because it is the holidays. And people are going to be eating, and they're going to have people over mooching off of them. Omaha Steaks is not only giving you 50% off site-wide, and that's uh, everything on the order one of everything. A minimum order may be required, but you can't go on there and order one pork chop and expect to get half off. And when you use the promo code JCE at checkout, you're going to get an additional $30 off of your order after you got the 50% off. This is, it's just crazy. It's just, it's not right. These people ought to be put away in a state home somewhere where they can't harm others. But while they're still able to knock the shit out of a cow, you can send tender, juicy, butcher's cut filet mignons and burgers and franks and all that stuff to yourself or to anybody else you want to. Give them as gift. Give people food. Isn't that the Christian thing to do at Christmas? Feed people? Feed the poor. Well, most of the people you know are probably poorer than you, so buy them some meat. And right now, the offer is not going to last long. 50% off site-wide, and when you use the promo code JCE at checkout, an additional $30 off your order at omahasteaks.com. Did I say that before? I'll say it again. omahasteaks.com. Again, 50% off and $30 off, and they're almost giving it away. Poor bossy. I thought she'd be worth more when we sent her on to the to the great beyond this is bossy the third <clears throat> omahasteaks.com and you'll get bossy you'll tell me eat that meat eat 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 your meat from omaha steaks yes dot com promo code jce i mentioned checkout. that at checkout 
well, you can't do it before you go there. You got to go there and get something. Then use the promo code to get the money off. That's the way it works. Well, then go there now. Omaha Steaks. Well, don't go right now. Don't stop listening to us. You can do both. Can you do two things at the same time? Why not? Why wouldn't you be able to? Well, well then, well then do it then. Listen to us and go buy your meat over there. Over there? From over Omaha there. Steaks? Yes, dot com. Code JCE. Well, Jim, before we uh, get back to whatever remaining thoughts you have about Monday Night Raw, let's stay on the topic of wrestling and food. Ric Flair apparently has a new announcement that he just made. And this video is now going around, so I'm going to play this for you. This is apparently Ric Flair. <laughs> Ric what, Flair. Wait, what? Is this real? This is real. This is Ric Flair pronouncing his new wings, which are woo wings. Woo wings. So you can get wings. woo marijuana products, woo energy products, and now woo chicken wings. Well, one follows the other, I guess. Assuming they are actual chicken you, wings. You you do the woo weed, then you need the woo wings, and then you need the woo energy to go exercise to take the weight off from eating the woo wings after you got the munchies from the woo weed. Woo wee! Out of the three of them, do you think woo wings is the one that sounds like it works the best? In terms it's of not, not as a business, not as a business, but as an actual name, Woo Wings. It's the one I'm pulling for the most. I hope they're good. Uh, you know, it's a hard wing is good to find, or a good wing is hard to find these days. Was Ric Flair known as someone who enjoyed a good chicken wing, or a buffalo wing, or any kind of wing? I don't remember. Well, you know, when I was on the road with Flair, we had just found out about wings. Because remember, they didn't they didn't have chicken wings anywhere in the fucking 70s. I first encountered the chicken wing when we went to upstate New York for Crockett in like 88. The buffalo wing. Normally it was a drumstick. So the point is, is that uh, when I was traveling with Flair, wings were a new thing on the menus. I don't know that I've ever seen Ric Flair consume a wing. I've, we went to the melting pot one time. He ate the shit out of the fondue. But nevertheless, woo wings. What flavors of these wings do we have? Are you have audio? Well, I have some audio here. And uh, does, it, does the audio have flavor? I don't know about the flavor. From what I understand, they taste just like normal wings, except Ric Flair gets four cents per unit. But let's uh, go. <laughs> this is how Ric Flair pronounces woo wings. Somebody has looped the nature. Where is the nature loopy? Wings. 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 Why did he say it like that? Wings. He's. He sounds like he's a little toy race car revving up. Wings, wings, wings. Wings. <laughs> wings. <laughs> wings. 
All right, well. All righty, so what, what's next? The <laughs> Ric Flair H&R Block Crossover Income Tax Service? Oh, that may not be a good one. That may, <laughs> that uh, one may not work. Oh, boy. He's, he's well, as in, the nature is going to be a big business typhoon. In his golden years, he's got his, his he used to have his finger in everybody. Now he's got his finger in everything. Can we say that on the air? We can. I was just uh, Googling to see if there was an official full-length Wu Wings announcement. Uh, well, hold on. Let's see what this is. Here's an announcement from Ric Flair. Wu Wings! Legendary flavors! <laughs> World Championship Wings! Woo! Wu Wings! Yeah! Woo! Woo! What's <laughs> up? <laughs> 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 And by, like the way, and by the way, uh, the description of the video or the, te- the name of the video is Woo Wings is looking for restaurant partners to operate our virtual brand. If you are in a major metro where Uber Eats is prominent, visit dot dot dot. So you, Jim, even you could be a restaurant operator for their virtual brand. What? I've got to cook them. I just want to eat them, maybe. What, but I, I love the enthusiasm there, but I'd love a little more information like fame, world championship wings, famous flavors, whatever. The, how about I got the garlic parm? I got the uh, Louisiana cayenne? I got, you know, what, what's going on here? More information before we jump in and, and sign up as franchisees. Or how is that going to work? What is a virtual restaurant? Are people going to be. Like cooking the wings in their kitchen at home and then fucking driving them around town to people? Do you have to give out your home phone number for people to call and order? Well, they're on DoorDash apparently in Staten Island. I don't know what's going on over there in Staten Island right now. But here's uh, something from comicbook.com from August 2nd last year, 2022. So we missed this story somehow. (laughs) Ric Flair and Kitchen Data Systems... Announced back in June, they'll be opening a chicken wing restaurant themed after the Nature Boy called Woo Wings. How, wait, how did this fly under the radar this long? I don't know, probably because of uh, what it is and what it's going to be. But uh, what will never be. So apparently they announced this brand and now they have, doesn't say anything about franchising or virtual stores or virtual restaurants. <laughs> it says virtually nothing. Do you get real food from a virtual restaurant? How does that work? See, we've got some information. We can call Uber Eats in Staten Island. I wonder how much Uber Eats would charge me to bring me some of the woo wings uh, from Staten Island to Louisville. But we can we can do that over there. But it, the, the information has not been... At least I wouldn't have to go to the Verrazano. That wouldn't be too bad. Well, regardless of what Italian mayor you've got in that borough, um, nobody's given us the the scoop, the down low, as the, as the kids say, on who's cooking these things. Where are they being prepared? What what process is is being done by who on the food that I'm going to be consuming in my mouth? Wings. <laughs> Wings. <laughs> Is is Rick going to be preparing the wings from a secret recipe from his family that I was not aware of? And has he shared this like the Colonel Sanders of wings with the the people? Is he going to be 
personally overseeing these operations or... Hi, I'm Ric Flair. People think I've won all these women because of my money and my championships. It's actually my wings. I do something. Not just... Wings! <laughs> they're, the, they're the fattest and juiciest in town. Something. Give me some... Some descriptive flavor. But what we... We wish Rick success with the wings. Oh, wait till he finds a way to sucker that person to sponsoring AEW. I can get two segments a week. But, Woo! Wings! But, but hey, do you, do, wings! You think, do you think Sockface and Shivani and all the rest of do you think they'll get to eat these? They're obviously barred from drinking the energy drink on air for fear they might mutate before our very eyes on live television. What happens if you combine the two? If you combine the... <laughs> energy drink with the wings what could possibly happen would that be like wouldn't it the old pop rocks thing when you put the pop rocks in the coke it'll blow your innards out again another product i want to see rick actually ingest one of these i want to actually see <laughs> some evidence that rick flair is behind the product eat one well, Jim, I promised you a wrestling food update and that was it the wrestling food update this week but apparently Raw rolled on. You have some other yes. well, things that just you caught. Very briefly, Jey Uso got beat by Drew McIntyre. Drew continues his, uh, his slow heel turn. He gouged uh, Jey's eyes and then hit his kick, one, two, three, behind the referee's back. He gouged his eyes. So that's terrible. But the yeet controversy has been settled now. And apparently in... in Quick order, quick fashion, and to the satisfaction of the the poor, downtrodden indie guy that had trademarked this uh, a couple years ago, thanks to the omnipresent Stephen P. New. We'll talk more about him on the program, but uh, he's the he and Dusty Gwynn can't leave out Dusty Gwynn. That's the reason why the Midnight Express is trademarked, courtesy of the the Gwynn and New combo. New and Gwyn. New comes first. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, I was just, I was trying to be more uh, flowing with the conversation. Gwyn and New, New and Gwyn. It's a new day in the Gwyn household. I don't know. Is it related to Fred Gwyn? Uh, it's spelled differently. Then he we, is not. We have found that he is, he is not, <laughs> also not related to Dusty Rhodes. We, we came up with that a week or two back. Um, the Judgment Day is is arguing with each other. There's trouble in paradise, and Priest and Rhea are firing up at each other and not happy with each other, but they're arguing about who's lost and what's gone on, but they're, they're involving now the Creed brothers with the Judgment Day, and more on this, I have thoughts later. But did you, did you happen to see any of Rhea Ripley versus Maxine Dupree? No, and I wanted to because I was really curious how that was going to go, but I didn't get to see all of Raw, just some of the big moments. Well, then this wasn't one of them. Rhea tried, next to Rhea Ripley, Maxine Dupree looks like a toothpick with a ponytail, and, uh, you know, in the words of some of the veterans of long ago, I don't think that girl going to make it. Uh, it was mercifully short, but in that time, Maxine almost managed to fuck up the riptide. <laughs> Rhea Ripley is riptided like Mark fucking Henry or whatever, 500 pounds. But she, this girl, as she went up, she got her legs stuck in between Rhea Ripley's legs and almost fucking collapsed the whole thing. 
but anyway, then moving on past the punk segment, because that was pretty much the first hour. You mentioned Reed and Ivar, and boy, that was that was a real rip snorter. And then our truth came out to interrupt the live Judgment Day interview, and I was going to skip ahead, but uh, and I did because it was our truth and what the fuck. But they were going to beat him up as we knew. But the Creeds came in and saved him. At first, they beat them up too, but then the Creeds came back and cleared the ring from all the male members of the Judgment Day. And I'm just, I'm going on record. I hate to have an unpopular opinion, Brian. You know how I hate to be unpopular. These kids are fantastic, legitimate athletes. But they are not ready, and they may never get ready. Because when I talked about in the modern era, it's fashionable to maybe not have a personality. That's what I'm looking at right now. I'm seeing two bland white guys that didn't need NXT. They needed an OVW or something on a much smaller scale with more personal attention and less goddamn spotlight for a year or two and grow some fucking hair, quit looking like narcs. They're not smooth in the professional wrestling movements. And if they've been in NXT for however long they've been there, they ought to be smoother than this. I don't see natural students here. I see great athletes that could probably translate their athleticism to wrestling, but I'm, I need some God. They're literally white holes of quicksand charisma. Just fucking... White boys, just donut holes, just God, I don't know. I don't know what to fucking. I, was, I keep thinking of the word milk. They drink lots of milk. They milk look like toast. they drink. No, not even milk toast. They look like they drink a lot of milk. Drink a lot of milk. Kurt Angle looks like the goddamn president of the chapter of the Hell's Angels next to <laughs> these fucking guys. Well, they got, anyway. the girl, they got the girl to help them with some of their uh, oh, geez. Have charisma you seen that and personality girl? issues. Have you seen that girl? She looks tough. If, if she, she, looks, she looks rough, I don't know about tough, but if she's standing behind a four-foot fucking fence, you wouldn't see her anyway. She's minute, too. Anyway, then after that, that punk was in the back with Adam Pierce and Drew McIntyre. Said very briefly, I don't care about your story. I care about my story. And he walks off and Pierce says that Drew is getting a title shot on the big January one, I guess at New Year's Day or day one fucking episode. And uh, so that that's registered there. I'm sure Punk might have something to say about that. They've got me and interested they- in Drew again. I'll give them credit. Yes, because Drew, now remember we say it's just blah, the sword and the fucking, this is okay, I like this. He's a little bit more of a prick now. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do with that. But then Punk saw Kofi and Gable and Ricochet, and he knew Kofi, and he hugged him, and then he introduced himself to the other guys and handshakes all around, and then suddenly he sucker punched Ricochet and put a front face lock on him. Oh, my God. Actually, he didn't. It was all sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, and waterfalls. But but Bruce Pritchard said he was scared to death. He, well, he Bruce did fear for his life, but that's only because he got his doctor's report about his cholesterol level. <laughs> and no, 
I'm sorry, but if I, if I if it was me, if I was me, by the time the Royal Rumble rolls around, I would have Punk front face like a motherfucker in the back. I just, but I, I'm sorry, I'm just that way. Just anyone, or does it have to be the person that he's doing something with? No, I th- I think he should just goddamn get in an argument with some random fuck and just fucking front face like him. Because, I mean, it it wouldn't be out of place on this program, and he could say the guy disrespected me. I'm not going to take that from him. I'm not going to take it from fucking Seth Franklin Rollins. You want the internet to lose their minds? Yes, yes. Just have him walk down the hallway and bump into someone, and he says, excuse me, and the guy gets him out and says, cry me a river, and Punk just hits him. <laughs> Break their social media numbers. Uh, anyway, you know, you got to play to all the audiences. Anyway, then they had a girls match. And then at 10 o'clock, they had Becky Lynch doing an in-ring promo interrupted by Refrigerator Jacks, and they emoted. Again, I believe I mentioned, by the last breath of the fall winds that blow. Actually, Jacks is more sable, monotone, Stepford wife. I memorized this shit, and I'm trying to have a personality. But she's trying to have a personality of a snarky little girl about 125 pounds but anyway and then cody congratulates adam pierce on signing punk but the rumbles around the corner and you can't finish two stories at once can you it's amazing how much sense this shit makes it's you know i mean golly gee whiz didn't we say something about that last week or whatever all one has to do is eliminate the other. And, you know, and then you've got, you know, they may get a strangers on a train fucking apparatus going where to make sure the other doesn't suspect the other, they have someone else eliminate the other. But then one doesn't hold up their end of the deal and then only one person gets eliminated. And then, holy shit, you know what I'm doing. You just don't want to put it over. And then he promoted Shaky Nakamura, Cody did. And then. Gunther and Kaiser and Da Vinci wrestled Tommaso and The Miz and Johnny Sameface. And why do they have to do this? Love Tommaso. Miz I've accepted in certain circumstances. Everybody knows what I think about Sameface. But Gunther, it diminishes him to be involved in six-man tags with two guys that are just his flunkies and not presented as anybody that ever do anything right or win anything and they got beat again but why does he have to be in six mans with and they're not pushing Tommaso and they're they're not Miz is a top guy but you know it's Miz but why have your intercontinental champion your dominant single heel involved in these six mans just because these two guys are in his fucking group and it's Miz's hometown so he gets to win that's my thoughts on that. And then Cody and Shaky. Shaky Nakamura, your favorite wrestler. He's not my favorite wrestler. You're telling me, oh boy, you ought to seen him when he did this and he did that and he did the other thing. He was really enjoyable in New Japan. Back when people still saw in black and white and steak was 15 cents a pound and women couldn't vote back in the good old days. 2014, that's right. Well, they've been voting longer than that. He's 
Young. He's not. You make him sound like he's older than you. Oh, I expect to see him sitting in a rocking chair out in front of a cracker barrel. A rocking chair, you say? Yeah. Because he's shaky, so he wouldn't even have to put any any uh, effort into it. He's always going into seizures. He could rock his own chair without having to have his feet on the ground. Yeah, the, but there'd be no good rocking rhythm with the kind of shakiness that he has. Well, he ain't got no good rocking rhythm when it comes to wrestling. So if he can't rock the wrestling rhythm, why could he rock the rocker rhythm? Well, they've been building up this match, Cody Rhodes and Shinsuke Nakamura, who suddenly has the power of the mist. Yeah, and they're going to rock around the clock. The shaky entrance started at 10.29 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and the bell rang for the match at 10.39. I like to bring that up every week because it amazes me that they can stretch shit out that long. And here's the thing, by the way. There's a difference in writing formats and writing television because i've seen a lot of people on twitter go well qt said he was writing the formats tony writes the form whatever the reason why this was brought up in my mind is as i was watching this and zipping through it i was bruce pritchard and i would rack our brains trying to find an extra 90 seconds to attribute to something in a two-hour raw program in the late 1990s 90 seconds. <laughs> oh, God, can we cut that entrance shorter? Vince won't take anything out of that promo, blah, blah, blah. And now they can just take 10 minutes to get a fucking match in the ring. It just amazes me. But there's there's a difference in writing the television and writing the formats. If, if you go to the movies, screenplay by Joe Smith based on a story by Tits McGee. Well, that Tits McGee, in this case, has always been Vince McMahon. He wouldn't write the goddamn format, but he would tell you, you would say, Vince, what do you want The Undertaker to do? Who do you want Brett interacting with? What about fucking Michaels? He's telling you the shit that he wants that's important, what they're going to do, how they're going to interact, or other activities they're going to have in the program. And once he tells you everything that he wants in it, then you got to fill the rest of the shit out. And in a normal creative environment, then you, like in WCW, I was writing the formats for Flair, but only because that was stenography at that point. He is okay, I want this, that, and the other thing. And then Kevin Sullivan would help me figure out the rest, and then I would actually goddamn write the format because they didn't have time, and I had good handwriting so I could fax it to the office. Tony Khan is writing the AEW television program. QT was writing the format. Tony, what do you want in this show? Okay, now I'm going to time it out, make it fit, where the breaks go. And with, with this, it's just amazing that they have come up with a way that people apparently will hang with watching this goddamn 10-minute entrance when one guy goes to the ring, then there's a break. Then they come back and they talk about unrelated shit in the back or after a commercial for whatever. And then there's something else going on, and then the other guy comes to the ring, and now 10 minutes has passed. He would have chopped our fucking heads off if in, in any of those programs we would have taken 10 minutes to get two motherfuckers just to the ring and ring the bell with absolutely no action going on. Have I beaten this point to death yet? Almost. 
All right. So anyway, and by the way, and Booker's did both. They both wrote the TV and wrote the format. It was just called doing the television. So they had an okay match here. Cody can work with anybody. I do not get shaky Nakamura. And it's I'm not being presidentially presidential, prejudicial against Japanese athletes. Cody Rhodes versus Tatsumi Fujinami on New Japan Pro Wrestling Television in 1982, I have no doubt would have been spectacular. But this fucking broken down old fellow. I don't get it. It was better than most of his matches because it made sense and they wrestled. But, uh, yeah. You know, they, they, they went two minutes to the break. They came back for another five minutes. They have no problem giving us a 20-minute uninterrupted promo segment, but the main event of the entire program can't get over five interrupted minutes, and they came back with five minutes left. And finally... Cody was about to hit his finish when Shaky ducked out from under him and blew the red mist in his face and got the disqualification. And I will praise them for their camera work and their preparation because if this had been, again, AEW, we'd have seen the referee come out of his pocket and stick the gimmick in Shaky's mouth, but we didn't. We saw Cody hit his fucking Cody cutter Pop up, glorify to the people, close up of Cody, long enough for the handoff to happen. And then he grabs Shaky and we're back with it. And suddenly Shaky's got a mouthful of tomato sauce and red poison. And boom, so that that's the that's also the role of the agent, a slash producer, whatever they're calling them these days. When the goddamn director is in the truck for three-plus hours of wrestling, he can't remember everything, so the producer sits there over his shoulder and says, okay, when he hits so-and-so, he's going to load up the mist so that the director knows to shoot around it. And, of course, that function would be served in AEW if, I don't know, guys like the plumber would bother to tell people when he's going to cut his own fucking head off. But nevertheless... Every Wednesday on TBS. Cody was blind and tried to fight back like Dusty would have, swinging wildly, but Shaky beat him up. And then out came the Creeds. And he they made the save and Shaky bailed out, but then ran back and leveled Cody one more time in the in the aisle way as the Creeds stood dumbfounded and then left. Somebody's trying to get the creeds over, and good luck to you. Ain't going to happen in this iteration of their persona. But your thoughts on Cody and the Quakey one? Oh, I didn't watch. I was out after the punk. <laughs> well, that's what happened. All right. You really don't... I'm kind of surprised by how vociferously... Uh, not against, but... I know they're raw and they're young, but you don't see the Creed brothers getting over. I would not have brought them up in this way with this look and this fashion and with, again, what I saw the other night with the tag team gauntlet or whatever, they, the ongoing tag team match, right? That they put them over like three different teams. They're not smooth. They're green. They're great athletes, but they're 
they're they're able to hurt you also with that fucking flying ass in the face thing um off the top rope it just they they don't stand out as anachronisms like uh, Vince had done that in the past where, well, you know, Backlund looks like a red. He'd have the headgear on and the fucking, you know, amateur wrestling singlet or whatever, but he also, he was a fucking shooter and uh, adapted to professional wrestling as well. And still never smooth, the smoother than these guys. I it's, it's just, it's the antithesis of a, a gimmick with per like he tried to do with furnace and Lafon where their gimmick was they were boring or bland. It gets, uh, that's what they look like they're trying to do here. They need something. They need some personality. They need some oomph to them. And, and, and also, as I said, I, I would have, uh, these guys may have gotten more about applying their, their shooter skills to, pro wrestling if they had been in a small old-fashioned place like ovw where you were taught more the mentality of how to think about wrestling it, it, when it was professional wrestling it's, uh, instead of sports entertainment because from shooting to sports entertainment pro wrestling is in the middle it was the middle of the evolution so it's an easier transition to, if you get them to understand that you know, Dan Severn was not a fireball personality, but he understood the physical aspect of pro wrestling, right? And he was a legitimate, one of the most decorated shooters of all time. Kurt Angle, he didn't get the entertainment for In Memphis, he was barely getting the wrestling. <laughs> but he had, he, he had an opportunity to be around veterans who could transition him from okay this once kind of was a shoot at the top level, but then they turned it into a work, and here's why. And then the entertainment light bulb came on. And I don't know if the Creed's just going to the NXT program like all of these other guys and girls that want to be on reality TV from the start and all you know have show business aspirations. I don't know if it's the same fucking thing. Does that make any sense? It makes a lot of sense. I'm comparing them in my head to other brother tag teams in the last 35 years or so, and they're obviously talented, but other than the fact that they've won, not much has been done to establish why you would care about them on the main roster, at least. Here's Jack and Jerry Briscoe, amateur wrestling greats from the state of Oklahoma. Jack was NCAA champion. Jerry was only a, you know, a regional champion, but... If they had been broken in, Jack, directly from the NCAA finals, instead of going to, you know, to Eddie Graham and Dory Funk Sr. and fucking being around people like that, if he had instead gone to the Performance Center and they tried to find a, a good name for him, like, or a Butterface, I can't remember all those goddamn goofy names, and they give him a gimmick where he's dressed up in some kind of outfit and he, they try to make him a sports entertainer that would no, it never would have worked. And Jack never had to be a sports entertainer, but Jerry got the concept. Both of them got the concept of wrestling and how to translate their amateur talent and their legitimate skills to professional wrestling. That was a work 
and how to get over and fucking stay over. And then Jerry later on could do the stooge shit in the 90s because he understood pro wrestling and the entertainment aspect of that. If you'd have taken either one of them straight out of fucking college and said, here, be sports entertainers in NXT, I don't know what the fuck you would have got. Like, look at 89 when you had the Steiner brothers. Rick would already have that almost sports entertainer-ish personality and character, but Scott came in just an athlete, just a brother. Yes, very dry. Scott was Scott was drier than the proverbial nun's twat. In yellow trunks. Yes, and he was kind of the drizzling shit. You know, he was green, and Rick was the, like you said, the personality. And Scott was kind of just, you know, the younger brother, big, but hanging around. And then later on, Scott's verbal ability popped through. He didn't have the personality. Rick Rick didn't have to speak in long sentences and say profound things because he was supposed to be a fucking crazy, goofy, gremlin, mental incompetent. And people loved it. But once Scott got the the gimmick in his head and the light bulb came on, then he was the promo that everybody was listening to. Well, Jim, let's stay on the topic of tag teams while we're talking about this. The Undertaker had something to say, apparently. He rated his top tag teams of all time, and the Midnight Express were on the list. I have some audio here I'll play you. Here is The Undertaker talking about his top tag teams of all time. It's Tag Team Wrestling 101. Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson. Uh, coming in at number three. Um, coming in at number three, I'm going to go with the Midnight Express. If I call him Midnight, he's a free period. Let me take Paulie dangerously. He's got this. Now, the Midnight Express, my goodness, with Jim Cornette as their manager. Again, another just amazing heel squad, right? You can't have a good baby face without great heels. And Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane were phenomenal. And then you throw Jim Cornette in there, the, uh, the, 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 the equalizer, not the equalizer, but the, the equalizer. Uh, just that guy <laughs> that was all you knew at some point was going to get involved and turn the tide somehow in favor of his team. He always had the tennis racket and was just, uh, just the, you know, I named, I put Jim Cornette on my, my Mount Rushmore manager. So, uh, I guess his team made it too. uh, the midnight express, just classic tag team wrestling. And has he said anything yet? Hold on. Let's go. No, come on. I can let him keep going. He, I'm loving it. I don't think you have the midnight express without my number two, the Rock and Roll Express. Okay, now you, now you can stop it for a second. And they went to Rock and Roll Express footage from 1993 Wrestling Challenge. <laughs> I like that my little cameo in there that I was just yelling about Paul E. Uh, <laughs> apropos of whatever. But no, I, I appreciate, before we, we'll finish that clip with Mark, but obviously I appreciate, we didn't talk about it, but he did put me on his Mount Rushmore list of managers with, with I'm trying to think it was Bobby, obviously, myself, and there were two other people, obviously, and Paul Bear was not on the list because he said he's the whole mountain. 
he wasn't going to put him on a list with other, three other people. And he picked me, Bobby, and two other folks. But, I, you know, Mark was a fan, especially in Texas. You know, he saw our run in Mid-South Wrestling and, you know, made an impact with him right in the couple of years before he got in the business. And I appreciate him saying that. And I've, I've, it's, it's his list, so I'm not going to argue with number three. But, you know, it's still an honor. And like you said, number two were your biggest rivals, the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> so you're still tied in. We're we're still in there. All right. Well, those are your thoughts on. Well, the no, you can play the rest of it now. Well, no, it's just him talking about the other teams. One, the Young Bucks. Oh fuck you! No, it was the Legion of Doom. Oh okay, the Road Warriors. The Road okay, Warriors. Well, and and again, then that there's not uh, a lot you can argue with there when you talk about impact on the business and. Drawing power, obviously, the Road Warriors were not what the Rock and Roll or Tully and Arn or the Midnight were as far as in-ring performers. They weren't as experienced and et cetera, but they were phenomenons of personality. To the fan who is younger, who wasn't there for the peak of the Road Warriors, let alone the Legion of Doom and WWF, what don't they, you know, if they don't think the Road Warriors stand out the way people did in their time, what are they missing? Well, they're missing being there at the time because when when you see something drastically different than what you've seen and seen it and see it for the very first time or the very first people doing something, that usually gets over the strongest and people remember it. And by necessity, only putting together two green, huge muscle builders that had almost no experience, they had to be smashed over. The gimmick, though, was incredible, and it worked until they were able to be trained and taught and surround themselves. We got Paul Ellering as a manager and who had more experience, and the people had booked them, and when Dusty aligned them with, you know, his top baby faces, all of whom were, you know, in various degrees experienced, and the heels that he put them with that were the best heels in the business. They had never seen anybody of that size with that look dominate people beat the piss out of people as much as fiercely and with as much regularity as the road warriors did and the music and the entrance it just all fit and it wasn't this was before a time where you know people thought of pro wrestlers as being bodybuilders or muscle heads the the old stereotype was you know fat guys with beer bellies and there had been superstar billy graham and he got over big and there had been other guys with bodies but just this level of dominance and they i mean they're in chicago body slamming dick the bruiser for fuck's sake probably the first slam bruiser had taken in 15 years and he didn't go up on purpose so that Once you've seen that kind of shit with everybody that's copied them for the last 35 years, 40 years almost, 40 years this year, my God, then you can't figure it out why it got over because they never lost. They beat the shit out of everybody. They looked like a million dollars and they can fucking talk. Well, I mean, what else do you need? Wing! (laughs) All right, well, uh, Jim... Maybe 
If the Legion of Doom were around today, that animal was a real enterprising guy. Maybe he would be selling some Legion of Doom merchandise with Shopify. Well, you know, that's a thing all of us could have taken a, a page out of Shopify's book. I don't know if that's an apropos simile. We could have used Shopify back in those days. We could have, from our, from our own living rooms, we could have run our own merchandise business. I know we'd have made more money than what Crockett paid us on merchandise. And if you want to make more money than what other people are paying you, well, then you go to Shopify right now because I'm telling you, Brian, not only is Shopify the, the number one e-commerce platform, it's a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, but also my God, well, they've got more attributes than what we've been talking about here recently. Did, did, did you know, for example, you don't have to just sell just your own stuff anymore? Because they've got Shopify Collective where you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love. So let's say you go into Walgreens and you love this certain type of vaginal refreshment. Well, what? you could just pick that up off the shelf and turn around and resell it because you're curating a brand you love. I don't think that's a proper example. I don't even know where you pulled that example out of, but that certainly wasn't in the copy and that is certainly not behavior well, I can that tell the listener I, should copy. I can tell you where it's pulled out of most times, but also, for no. example, yeah. you can grow your average order value with the Shopify Bundles app where you can create and sell product bundles with ease. Now, let's say you're driving down the road, you see a bunch of stuff laying on the side of the road. You gather it up, you bundle it all up, and you sell it on Shopify. People will pay for this shit. And sometimes there can uh, be roadkill that you don't even have to remove. That's no, part of the... There's no roadkill. I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, fine people out there at home. If you have a business and you need a great online portal, an easy way to sell your products, keep track of things, and of course, make money with your business. Yes. Shopify, our friends at Shopify, our great... Dear friends at Shopify. Yes, well, you know what? They're not only friends, but they're your no-excuses business partner. That, that says that right here on the copy. They're your no-excuses business partner. When shit gets fucked up, they've got no excuse. And folks, you can sell without needing to code or design or even think, basically. Use your uh, thoughts. They'll, they'll, Use your thoughts. They'll do everything. They'll do everything for you. Just show up and say, look here. Figure out what I need to sell and do it for me. But it does say that you can bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shops. That means, let's say you want to open up a donut shop. You go up to Shopify and you say, my idea is to open up a donut shop. And they crack, get to work immediately on baking those donuts and glazing them. You ought to see the glazing process. And with Shopify magic, you could whip up captivating content that converts from blog posts to product descriptions and generate instant fact answers. And you can pick the perfect email send time. Let's say you want to break up with your wife, but you don't want to do it in person. No. You figure while you're on a business trip, no. you could pick that time to send her the perfect email saying, get the fuck out of the house. You could do that yourself in your email uh, yourself that has nothing yes. to do with Shopify. This is about sending out a blast to your customers. Oh, well, if you want to blast your customers, that's your own business. I'd be nice to them if I were you. They're sending you money. But Shopify magic's free for every Shopify seller. So free magic. You have to believe it's magic and nothing can stand in our way.
And once you start selling, Shopify makes getting laid simple by instantly accepting. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. That says getting paid, getting paid simple. By instantly, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed Will now. Will you be serious for they once? Instant, I misread it. They instantly accept every type of payment. I'm talking cash, credit cards, personal checks, traveler's checks, various well, forms of barter coins available in, no, the, in the South Seas. I don't know how many of these other currencies after cash and charge they accept, so let's not guarantee anything. Check with your local... Authorities? Uh, Shopify authorities, yes. Yes. Well, they grow your business no matter how far or big you or grows. Uh, I'll, I'll try that again. <laughs> they grow with your business no matter, no matter how far or big you grow. So apparently you're not going to outrun these motherfuckers. You're never going to get rid of them. No matter how big you get, they're going to be right behind you. They're on your tail. You will enjoy the relationship with Shopify. Yes, yes whether you like it or not. Thanks to an endless list of integrations and third-party apps, anything you can think of from on-demand printing to accounting to chat bots, everything you need, they're, they're a big company and they've got all this stuff and they'll lay that sucker on you. And they'll make your marketing simple by removing the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze your online marketing campaigns, whatever that might mean. So right now, folks, running a growing business means getting the insights you need wherever you are, and they've got a single dashboard, and you can fucking floor this son of a bitch and drive it like you stole it, No. and manage the orders and the shipping and the payments from anywhere, anywhere in the world except the dark web. You have to get a separate subscription to manage any illegal or li- illicit payments. That no, come there in. are no illegal. Stop saying these things. Where are you pulling up these rules? There well, are no you... other subscriptions needed for illegal payments because there will be no illegal payments. Shopify will not accept illegal payments and they That's... will stop you from taking illegal payments. That's right. They're going to wash them off first. Folks, right now. If you want to grow your business from a do-it-yourself enterprise out of your garage to something that will completely leave your control and you'll be fucked on before you can leave it to your children and the board will take over and leave you broke, busted, and disgusted with a whiskey bottle in your back pocket in an alleyway somewhere or possibly even a gutter. The board. Go right now to shopify.com slash jce, which is all lowercase now, not the shopify.com, but the slash jce. For whatever reason, they're the only ones that have ever mentioned this, that you got to put JCE in an all lowercase, and who the fuck are we to argue with people? You can sign up for a $1 a month trial period right now, shopify.com slash JCE. So they'll grow your business. It'll run completely off and leave you. No matter what stage you're in, they're going to make it bigger. Whether you, and you're going to be in a higher tax bracket as a result of this. I just want you to know that ahead of time making all this fucking money that you probably don't even deserve on the backs of Shopify, shopify.com slash JCE, $1 a month trial period. And at the end of that month, when they, you've paid them a dollar and you've tried them out, well, I bet you, you're going to try them again. And yeah, you can try them all you want. You're never going to beat them. Shopify.com. That's right. Shopify, our friends, use them today if you need them. Don't today. use them. 
Do business with them. Don't use... Utilize their services today. Well, that's a more friendly way of saying it. If you shall need. Well, let's talk about friendly topics. Jim, I'm going to bring this up to you because a lot of the listeners have asked and also you retweeted it. Vince Russo (laughs) had an interesting tweet this week and actually I have bumped into another one here while looking for this one. I'll read it. Well, wait a minute. Before you do, let me say, you said I retweeted it. I did not retweet it as in, oh, I endorse this particular statement from this fine, upstanding individual. Somebody had sent a screenshot of one of Shitstain's tweets where he said something that, he always says something that's ridiculous. And those, I don't even pay any attention to. But this was so ironically ridiculous that I felt the need to amplify it somewhat, not only because of the, to quote Jackie Fargo, the insufferable gall of you, but also the fact that this is a, an alleged writer, a person who claims to be a professional writer, someone who is paid to write, who writes for a living. And this is what he wrote. And so on both of those fronts, that's why I felt this needed commenting on, and I basically retweeted it with the hashtag, this shit writes itself. Well, here is a tweet from Vince Russo, 3.49 p.m. on the 8th of December, 2023, from Earth. I'm adding a new rule. If you are, or were ever, one of my peers... Capital P, I E R S, <laughs> in the wrestling business, which means you actually worked in, in caps, the wrestling business. The wrestling. Don't call me to do your podcast if you also allow dirt sheet writers who are basically gossip mongers to come on your show as well. Zero heat whatsoever. But I strongly feel that allowing these leeches, L-E-A-C-H-E-S, these (laughs) leeches inside the door has severely hurt our business, and I'm not going to promote or be a part of that. Again, no hard feelings, just the way I feel. Where do we start? First of all, the the part that is so ironic is that I agree with his statement. He just doesn't realize what he's saying. I'm <laughs> I'm wholly in agreement that the leeches should have never been let into our dressing room and into our business. And in, But unfortunately, we have a different meaning, he and I, unless he's referring to himself, because that's who I'm talking about. A leech that should have never been allowed inside our business. The fact that he even mouths the words, our business, about professional wrestling makes me want to vomit. Secondly, overlooking all of that, a lot of the fans said, well... I don't know what Pierce Morgan has to do with this, but apparently Pierce Morgan is the only one that Russo will speak to about it. Or they wondered if it was just that he has a sailing background and spent a lot of time on the pier, although I think that's probably where, maybe that's where he met his wife. I don't know, down on the pier. Come on. (laughs) I'm sure she was doing charity work for the mission. 
healing the sick and feeding the hungry. The fact that he capitalized peers and then misspelled it makes it even funnier. Both capitalized wrongly and misspelled. And then the leeches. The leeches that are that are spelled much like Cary Grant's real given Christian last name. Oh, wow. Of Archibald Leech. Thank you very much. And not the way that the actual blood-sucking parasites are spelled. <laughs> so he can't spell, he can't write, he can't think, and he thinks that he can refer to the wrestling business as our business before the leeches came into it. Said Mr. Fucking Bloodsucker to Mr. Leech. That's again. That's a, an example of his penmanship before it goes through any secretaries or typists or correctifiers of any kind, or editors, or therapists, or whoever he passes his effluvia by these days. Well, it's interesting. Before in that uh, tweet, he referred to it as our business, which, as you said, made you sick. Here's a tweet from this morning as we are oh, recording. God. December 13th, 7.53 a.m. Started early. This is going to be a long one. Oh, boy. January will be 12 years that I walked away from the wrestling business on my own terms and went into the Vince Russo business. He's stealing my shit. 12 years. Wait a minute. That's my material. Did I say that 10 years ago? I said, fuck the wrestling business. I'm in the Jim Cornette business. We talked about it longer than 12 years ago, so yes, <laughs> it certainly oh, is. Christ. But still to this day, every morning I wake up and somebody else is taking a shot at me. Today, I woke up to find that a person I literally <laughs> took a bullet for. <laughs> Hold on, stop. Wait a minute. Wait <laughs> That's a minute. That literally works. Who has, <laughs> God damn it, who has been hiding from me all this time? I, this man deserves a bounty. Somebody put a fucking bullet in Vince Russo. I'm, I'll give you a check. I'll give you cash in a fucking shoebox. Tell me who you are. When did Vince Russo get shot? And how did they cover this up? He literally took a bullet for that. That means he was shot from a gun for this man. (laughs) He literally got me. We were doing a crack deal. It was Jake. It was Jake all along. Who did did he get shot for? Today, I woke up to find that a person I literally took a bullet for accused me of being hypocritical stating that I still, in quotes, make money off of the wrestling business. Really? How is that? I'm certainly not employed by the wrestling well, now, he business. May, he may have a fucking point. I'm interested to see how anybody <laughs> can illustrate that he's making money off of any business at this point. Really? How is that? I'm certainly not employed by the wrestling business. The wrestling business doesn't send me a check every week. I'm not on any wrestling company's payroll. Please. I've help. tried. I've tried. I've begged. I've, I regularly emailed Vince. I've made public pleas for them to talk to me. I created TNA. Please help me to understand. So, because I once made a living in the wrestling business, I am still making a living in the wrestling business because people, fans, 
subscribers want me to talk or still talk about my career and my thoughts on the current product. So talking about my life and my expertise is something I'm making money off. Uh, excuse me, in something means I'm making money off of that certain thing. Looks to me like I'm earning a living off of, well, me. The logic in this business is incredible to me at times. If I was actually looking to still make money off the wrestling business, I guess I'm doing a horrible job. Because the way I would and should be doing it is by kissing everybody's ass who's still part of it, much like many, if not all, of my former colleagues do. So this was a missive sent at 7.53 this morning. Well, but here's the thing, and he's, he's right. He's not making money off the wrestling business. He's making money off the wrestling fans. And truthfully, I'm not making money off the wrestling business. I'm making money off the wrestling fans. The only problem is I got more of them, and I give them something for their money. And old Shitstain has fewer of them and gives them nothing but wah, wah, woe is me. The wrestling business killed me and hurt my feelings and blah, blah, blah. And I always want to get back except when they won't take me back. And then I say I don't want to go back. I skipped all the middleman and told everybody <laughs> flat out, I don't want to go back and I ain't. But how's your action figure business going, Vinny Rue? <laughs> Sell selling a lot of those? <laughs> How are all these books that you've written selling? I'd be glad to put my uh, book sales numbers up against your, for a variety of my books. I think you did too. Woe is me, stories of your life and miserable career. But just, it just insufferable. This is what you had to say. And now people are starting to see it. You say something long enough and people won't believe it because they don't want to believe the source. But then the evidence finally comes out in front of their eyes. This is what you have to deal with when you sit around, listen to, talk to, or associate with this goddamn insufferable douchebag. He's a whiny fucking bitch. And it seems like he's always constantly begging to get back in. You know, he wants to help Tony. He was contacting the network. But then he says he wants nothing to do with it, and he walked out on his own terms, which I guess is easier than just admitting you're constantly begging for a job. Well, and that's another thing. He, can you imagine what these people at the networks think? Because, again, when TNA was on Spike, and what was the guy's fucking name? God damn it. Which um, guy? The guy from Spike that would come, now I've told this story before, would come and listen to us in the production meeting. He was the Spike representative. And then he'd go play golf at a resort in Orlando and then come back and watch the show to make sure we didn't do anything and get him kicked off goddamn cable. And he, but he was the spike representative and I would see him rolling his eyes when either shit stain would try to explain some of his shit in the production meeting or just the poor Mike today would be reading the formats in that monotone voice he adopted. So as not to be judgmental about this effluvia. And you knew they were going back and going, you're this fucking guy writing a wrestling show. He can't even spell. He's a fucking blithering idiot. It was embarrassing. And you've got to know that he, Russo thought that he was important enough when he had these jobs with these companies for a short period of time that these networks would take his calls and read his emails and accept his input 
and he's shocked and amazed when they tell him they don't want it either. He can't find anybody to help. You know why? Because he's no fucking help. I think the most shocking is the fact that the guy that he was shot for turned his back on him, whoever that may be. We never, wait a minute, that's right, who, who the We fuck? don't know, we don't know. Who shot, who did he get shot for? <laughs> what kind of neighborhood were they in? What kind of underhanded tactics were they involved in to attract that type of attention from that type of criminal element? I literally and where did he get shot? Hopefully in the head where nothing would be damaged. <laughs> well, it says he literally took a bullet, so we'll see what else we can find out about this literal story that I'm sure there's a police report for somewhere, but we'll see what we can find out. Jim, speaking of tweets. Speaking of getting shot. I have a series of Tony Khan tweets here. Oh, good Lord. Let me read you going back to Saturday or going back to Friday. December 8th, the mummy is over, which means that it's time for Friday Night AEW Rampage right now on TNT Drama. Thank you all for watching AEW on TV tonight. We have a great show for you tonight on TNT starting now. Do you have to say all that three times in the same tweet? Thank you all for, this is uh, December 9th. Thank you all for watching AEW TV. This is going to be a great show. AEW Collision starting right now on TNT Drama. Here's another tweet. The Suicide Squad is over. And now it's Saturday Night AEW Collision tonight on TNT. Is he going to start out by saying so-and-so is over, but none of my wrestlers are? It's AEW tonight. What an amazing match to start tonight's Saturday Night AEW Collision. Right now, Claudio versus Eddie Kingston in the Continental Classic. Now on TNT. We know where it is at this point, don't we? This is officially the longest match in the Continental Classic. Eddie Kingston versus Claudio, right now, on AEW Collision, on TNT Drama. Thank you all for watching Eddie versus Claudio on TNT tonight. <laughs> and by the way, is that a selling point that the longest match so far is Claudio and Eddie Kingston? It's John Moxley speaking tonight on AEW Continental Classic, right now, on Saturday night, AEW Collision, on TNT. It's time for the rematch between longtime rivals Willow and Mercedes Martinez right now on Saturday Night AEW Collision. Thank you all for watching AEW TV tonight, right now on TNT. What? <laughs> well, a few minutes later, it's time for Kenny Omega versus official ego Ethan Page in Montreal tonight, right now. On Saturday Night AEW Collision. Thank isn't, you isn't, if it's right now, tonight is pretty much assumed, isn't it? It's baked into the cake if it's right fucking now. Thank you all for watching this great match. Brian Danielson versus Andrade El Idolo tonight in the AEW Continental Classic Blue League. Right now on TNT Drama on Saturday Night AEW Collision. We're having an excellent show tonight on TNT. Thanks for your incredible support. What is it? Here's an off-topic one. Here's an off-topic one. Thank you, Fulham FC supporters, and huge thanks to all of you who were at the cottage today for Fulham's win. Congratulations, and thank you to Marco and the squad and club staff. It was great to win and keep a clean sheet at home. I hope you all have a great Sunday. Come on, Fulham! Is it, wouldn't he have been at the gorilla position if all that stuff was going on right now? Or I mean, those shows weren't live. 
They were taped. He's not doing that from the gorilla position. He's doing it from the fucking it's a bathtub with his mirror. Yeah, he's a gorilla position. It makes more sense. He's at home watching it on TV, tweeting out each match as it happens. <laughs> but here we go. 19 hours ago, as we are recording, thanks to our great partners at TBS, we have an overrun of five minutes planned for tomorrow night. Live on Wednesday night, AEW Dynamite. We'll see all of you tomorrow. We're excited for a five-minute overrun on TBS on Wednesday Night Dynamite, starting 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central, tomorrow. That was one tweet, right? That was one tweet, and then the next tweet was to announce the big Blue League match, Brody King versus Andrade El Idolo has been added to Dynamite. Well, but backing up to the previous tweet, okay, he's listening, apparently, because not only to us, but to Brian Alvarez who's a, a friendly face. It's not my job! And they're scheduling this shit. Imagine that. So I assume that the DVR will then record it when it records the program that it's set for. We, we will find out. I'm going to change nothing and see what happens here. They're going to mess but, this up. They're going to mess this up and they're going to book, they're going to format the show to go 105. They're going to go 109. Watch. But, but look <laughs> at the tweet. He said the same things three times in the middle of 240 fucking characters or whatever. Is it necessary to rave like that? Like that you've just goddamn had a bag of Colombian marching powder shoved up your ass when you could impart the information a little more clearly and concisely with half the number of words. It sounds... Somewhat unhinged, does it not? I mean, I'm looking at other tweets here. So many of them, he thanks people in every single tweet. Thank you for watching right now. Thank you for watching. Thank you for watching right now. It's almost like he took a class, like, how do I act like a normal person on social media? And he failed it. <laughs> do you have to type all that out? Or does he have, is it like a form letter he's sending? Or is he doing all those from scratch while he's sitting at home watching his own television yeah, program? That's a good question. Like, is he hanging out with people? Like, hold on, hold on. The mummy's ending. I got to tweet something out. The mummy's over. We're on now, right now, tonight, right now. It's great. Tonight, now. <laughs> I'm, uh, I mean, I understand promoting your television program. It would, and and even if, you know that he doesn't have somebody doing that for him. Like if the AEW account tweets out the promotional material for the TV show, that's fine. If Tony Khan, as the babyface boy promoter, feels like he's, you know, got a personal connection with the fans, then his personal account could tweet it out. But wouldn't you think that a guy worth that much money with that many things to do would have some stooge go, okay, at the top of the hour when the show's coming on, tweet a coherent message from my Twitter account promoting the show is on. Don't make me sound like I've goddamn just cornered the market on meth. Just a thought. Well, Jim, in news that is breaking right now as we are recording, it has come out, The Hollywood Reporter... Dwayne The Rock Johnson will be taking on his most dramatic role to date in a new A24 project, that's the company who did the Von Erich movie, from one half of the Uncut Gems team, 
Benny Safty. Well, the main point here, The Rock's going to be playing Mark Kerr in a movie take on the documentary The Smashing Machine. Any thoughts on this? Okay. And oh. I'm not sure if you were ever around Mark Kerr at all or... Well, that's what I... It took me a second and I realized a former mixed martial arts fighter uh, and that was his nickname, The Smashing Machine, correct? That's right. I didn't know where in the world you were going with that, so it took me a second. But no, I never met the guy, but I know briefly of his reputation. And so now The Rock is going to be a mixed martial artist. Well, he he, he looks fucking great for it, but uh, I, what is the... What is the story, the approach to the story they're going to take here? What did Mark Kerr do that's movie-worthy? Mark Kerr was a fantastic fighter who did bare-knuckle shit and was dominant, and he quickly went to the top of the UFC, and then he quickly walked out, and he went and did other things, and he burned out pretty quickly, had a major drug problem. When we did Yama Pit Fighting, he was a last-minute addition to that show. I forget, who did he replace? He was a last-minute replacement on that show and at the time he was shot already i think he replaced don fry it's an interesting role for dwayne johnson to play because dwayne johnson's much older than mark kerr was at his peak mark kerr was someone who didn't really look like dwayne johnson but also dwayne johnson looks goddamn better now than mark kerr did look at his peak didn't he <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on you know mark kerr at his peak was pretty jacked uh but it's an interesting role. But I'm mean, just a better looking man. I get worried. That last DC movie was his passion project and that almost killed the studio, didn't it? <laughs> so I would hate to be the person to have to tell The Rock that, you know, maybe you're not the best person to play this role. But we'll see. We'll see how it works out. But you were never around Mark Kerr. That's the, uh, never met him, no. I'm sure he probably stretched a few friends of mine, but I'd, I've never met him. How big was the move, if any, internal to get more... Like you had Ken Shamrock. Dan Severn ended up coming in very different than Ken Shamrock. Was it ever a move to get other UFC early stars? No. Again, Vince had no fucking idea. Shamrock was, was saved because he actually had trained in pro wrestling and had worked as Vince Torelli in the early 90s in the Carolinas. I had worked with him on a spot show. Greg Price promoted. I actually worked with him in a battle royal, me and Stan, beating up fucking the future Ken Shamrock. But Vince had, he didn't understand, he didn't get, he didn't want to get, was not interested in the UFC, mixed martial arts, whatever. That's why that it, unfortunately, the whole thing when Dan Severn came in, it didn't work out because Vince McMahon didn't have any idea who any of these people were. And you couldn't tell him the import of their rivalry on pay-per-view for the UFC, what that had been. And you had... Again, Shitstain, who was more interested in goddamn clowns and ponies and oddities than in promoting Severn and Shamrock. And there was no, except by Shane McMahon, as you know, everybody's talked about, he wanted to buy the fucking UFC at one point. But there was nobody that could... Bruce knew who everybody was, but he wasn't going to argue with Vince McMahon about it. Jim Ross knew who everybody was, but he couldn't argue with, he could argue with Vince, but he saw it was pointless. And Vince didn't want to do real sports crossovers. He wanted to have stars from real sports come over and goddamn do hoo-ha. 
you know, so we couldn't get any more uh, UFC guys or MMA guys or people from that world because Vince didn't, he didn't see it. cosmic time travel session once again we are in the future that was a journey through the center of my mind well this thing's loud let me turn this off all right we are off and we are on right here we're back (laughs) we're back a day later and uh we're fine but maybe uh, a network short for someone else i don't know well I mean, you know, news happens fast. The life comes at you fast. Isn't that what the commercials say, Brian? And it was getting later in the day yesterday, which was Wednesday, and we decided we've done the brunt of this podcast, and we had some personal commitments. And what the heck, we'll take a couple questions tomorrow and do a couple of things and put the tag on the program, which is now tomorrow is Thursday. And before we've even issued disseminated, inseminated the the program that we've just recorded that you have previously heard, folks, if you've listened to this thing all in order. So we said what we were going to do was come back on Thursday morning, which is now, and we were going to just put the end of this program together, a couple of questions, whatever, and overnight, before we have ever even inseminated or disseminated or put out the program that the people have just heard, if they've listened to this thing in order, A lot of people are saying, apparently, Brian, what we were just saying earlier in the program yesterday. Things are happening quickly. Yes, very quickly, allegedly, (laughs) apparently. Apparently, everything but your answer, your your response. No, that's what I'm saying. A lot of people are saying the same thing that we were saying, that Warner Brothers Discovery may want the number one wrestling program, if they're going to be spending money at all, and it may be because of punk. Who are all the people now that are lining up with this uh, conversation? Well, the reports that are now coming out, and no one is exactly sure where they're disseminating from. There are different rumors. But the reports are that Warner Brothers Discovery have re-engaged in talks or engaged in talks with WWE just recently, possibly due to the inclusion of CM Punk on WWE's bottom line. I'm really not exactly sure. But the rumor is that a meeting was held in New York City, and they were talking to the right people if you were going to try to do a deal and make it financially feasible. So we shall see what happens. It's important to note that Warner Brothers Discovery owns a bunch of channels, not just TBS, not just TNT. You know, I'm sure... WWE could end up on the Home and Garden Channel or TLC. What's what's the Destination America schedule looking like these days? What about Pop TV? If you're an executive from that company and you have limited wrestling knowledge whatsoever, maybe you have some wrestling knowledge, I don't know. Not everyone's us, ladies and gentlemen. Not everyone's that person who knows the title history of the NWA. So if you're that person and you're sitting ringside at any dynamite anywhere in the country or Canada right now or any WWE show, which one do you want on your network? Now, Raw is going to be expensive. It's going to be very expensive. 
but it's also what double the audience typically of dynamite. Well, with punk with Punkin at quarter Monday night, it was one point eight eight, almost one point nine million. So that's uh, double plus three hundred thousand. So again, we've talked about it. We've alluded to things that we have been thinking. I guess I could say, and look at what's happening now. Again, nothing could happen. Maybe Tony uses this and gets himself a good new deal. Did you see somebody on Twitter just before we started this was retweeting something that one of the the really dedicated AEW fans said it was, well, somebody ought to just show the network the cage match ratings and how Tony no. has had so many more five-star matches than WWE never has them, and that'll convince them that they need to be on the network. What? A TV executive is going to go, well, did, who has more five-star matches? Yeah, at this point, next to the star rating, I want to see the viewership. Let me see the TV rating next to the star rating. Yeah, I'm sure if you put the ratings next to the the TV ratings, the Nielsen ratings, next to the five-star match ratings for a TV executive, I'm pretty sure that the, the, the viewer ratings would be inversely proportionate, if I've used that term correctly, to the fucking cage match, death match, fucking five-star ranking committee or whoever the fuck, but that's the way these people fucking think. They don't understand. This is how Tony Khan probably thought going in. He didn't understand business. I told you the impression that I got from my first conversation with him was that this was a done deal. This was a fait accompli. He was going to beat Vince McMahon and the WWF. They were toast because he was going to give the people all this great wrestling, which he is yet to give them. Not much. But he thinks it's great wrestling because it's a bunch of indie clowns fucking doing moves to each other. Because it's his wrestling. And he, but there was never any acknowledgement in his conversation or even the tone of his voice or his demeanor about how, you know, this might be tough. You know, when we get TV and we get money and blah, 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 this might be a challenge. No, it was like, oh, WWE sucks. Now we know why he thought they sucked, because they didn't have fucking pockets and legless wonders and indie darlings doing spinning fucking triple indies. And you were battling Vince with the idea that Triple H was going to take over one day, but he was in NXT, and then Triple H was gone. And you're thinking, oh my God, Tony against Vince. Vince looks shot. And now it's Tony against Triple H and Triple H is kicking his ass. Let me tell you something. I've, if Vince could be in a mausoleum for six months and cold as a banker's heart, and I still would say it would be even money with Tony Khan living and Vince dead for six months. So I wouldn't even go to fucking bet on it with Vince still alive, even if he'd lost his mind. Vince, with his mind tied behind his back, can still run a better company than Tony Khan. I think that's been shown. Vince had a shit product, but he didn't have goddamn anarchy in the goddamn Titan Tower. You know, if you remember back to the very early days of us talking about AEW, when there was still some optimism, I always said this is a great opportunity for wrestling executive development. If there's a meeting with the heads of a studio or the heads of a television network and it's Nick Khan and Triple H 
and Mark Shapiro? Or it's Tony Khan? And who? <laughs> and who? His dad? QT? No, QT resigned. QT I'm said beforehand. QT said, I'll take my chances on the open market. <laughs> I'm gonna jump off this ship now. Cody would have been there. Cody left and turned around and said, I never want to be an executive again. So then you're talking about Tony. Punk would have been the guy to walk in with to any network presentation. Oh, he's gone. No, you get up Danielson coming with his eye patch. <laughs> so now here's crazy Tony and his pirate friend. But that's it. Tony has to pitch it and let his enthusiasm and love for wrestling and his dad's wallet show versus seasoned executives. Seasoned at making deals. Tony's in a lot of trouble. Do you think when Tony Khan walks into the network meetings, he hugs the program executives like he hugs the wrestlers? I'm mean, a serious question. Do you think he, oh, I love you guys. I don't think to start a meeting, and it can't be to end any meeting, but if a good thing happened, I could see Tony, you know, trying to goose Zaslav or something. <laughs> Zaslav may getting go be getting goosed uh, by a different suitor. But anyway, so we're getting ours out there. A lot of other people are talking about these things. We'll see what happens, what transpires. Yes, we will. And that's, um, I wish it was more to report right now. It's so fascinating that it's all happening. I had heard the Raw TV deal was done. Maybe Tony heard that too. I don't know. Maybe, well, maybe it was done in principle, but then... All of a sudden, Punk shows up, and they pop another number, and the social media is through the roof, and maybe WWE say, you know, we could probably do better elsewhere. The way things happened wasn't perfect, and CM Punk didn't behave perfectly, but a lot of things happened, and here we are. Did this all end up being the perfect timing for this guy, in terms of him being able to take care of himself? But also, in terms of the company being able to maximize his importance. Yes. Right when they're negotiating that TV deal. The whole business is about that TV deal. It, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, think about this. What is the other thing that happened in wrestling that worked out perfectly to fucking make a company a shit ton of money? Fucking Montreal. A goddamn double cross, right? A completely unplanned, well planned, but you know what I'm saying. A spontaneous occurrence that ended up getting Vince McMahon and the WWF over more in the way they needed to be than anything ever and got Brett a multi-million dollar contract until fucking Goldberg kicked him in the head. And now, from all this, this chaos and all of this slander of punk that he's a cancer and he's out of the wrestling business, nobody will ever touch him. No, in the real world, Tony made punk even hotter by running a sloppy shop and by forcing him to attract so much attention to himself and his activities that he became the hottest thing in wrestling. And then Tony handed him to the fucking competition to become the hottest thing in wrestling. And it worked out perfect, even though Tony was not trying to do this. And I don't know, I don't think that Punk walked up to Jungle Jack off in Wembley with the idea, you know, if I front face like this little weasel, I'll make more money than I've ever made in a business in my life. 
I don't think that was uppermost in his head, but it's worked out that way. Well, it's still playing out, and we shall see what happens, but we will keep the listeners updated through time travel or whatever means necessary on the trials and tribulations of the Raw TV deal. Well, Jim, let's stay on the topic of AEW and AEW business. A report came out this week. Brandon Thurston, the man behind WrestleNomics, put out an AEW financial estimate for 2023. I know a lot of this went around. Did you get to see any of these? Any of this, any of this report, any of these numbers, any of this report, did you get to see? Uh... I, I tried, you know, a lot of people have been extrapolating and speculating on AEW's finances and Uncle Dave put out this long, they, well now if you consider this, you take that, you estimate this and he just, it was pulling tens of millions of dollars out of his ass with completely improper grammar and no punctuation. So I couldn't understand that. And then conversely, it seemed like old Thurston Howell III there did such a good job that it was like a financial report that I couldn't fucking read either. So you're the financial genius around here. I'm just a, I've said it before, a a common small town bird lawyer. Can you explain to me as he's gone through these finances not only they say that AEW is still losing 30 plus million dollars a year, but how the fuck do they expect to make anything? Well, this goes to a conversation we had. How did they ever expect to make anything? I mean, if, if, if the TV network gives them $500 million a year, whatever the magic number is, then yeah, they'd make something, but... But they said that out loud. They said out loud, if the TV network who we're partnering with for this upstart company gives us a great deal in four years or in two years, whatever it was at the time, three years, cut the cut it right through the middle. Yeah. If we get that deal, then we'll be an incredibly profitable company. And if that video game hits, it'll be more profitable than anyone could have imagined. And if you know what Mama Cornette used to say, then you'd say right now, and if a frog had wings, he wouldn't bump his ass on the ground. You know, we, but, al- we always compared AEW to a lot of the, um, the rival promotions, whether it was the situation in Montreal or the situation at the same time in Georgia with All South. It feels, I mean, again, I wasn't there, but it feels like what a lot of those companies seem like when you read about them and the stars were gone. And the audience has stopped coming so much. And I tweeted out, we'll talk about Dynamite, obviously, on the experience. But I tweeted it out. It feels dead. AEW feels dead right now. There's no energy. There's no buzz. Even the matches that their fans love the most, they're quiet. There's like large stretches of quiet. Well, and and as well, the people that you want to see are either hurt or miscast. Nobody wants to see MJF out there crying about his friends like everybody else does. They wanted to see MJF, the fucking... Nobody was on the level of the devil. Now he's just a good-hearted fellow that's found what it means to have friends. And... Everybody fired, injured, or been made meaningless by the ridiculous booking and or just being involved in stupid shit. So, no, there's no 
looking forward to watching this shit, you know, for anybody but the people who you said want to say, oh, there's some great matches with two guys doing shit to each other back and forth and nobody cares. And again, part of the story is the difference between net and gross. And AEW is grossing a lot of money and people hear that like, how could you say they're not successful? They're making $150 million. How much are they spending? <laughs> how much are they spending? I could make $150 million on $200 million any day of the week. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. Hey, well, I've said a, a many times before, the easiest way to make $5 million in the wrestling business is start with $10 million. But it's, it's, like, it's like the old, when Flair was the spokesman for the goddamn North Carolina lottery, the joke was that every ticket you buy is guaranteed to win $10,000. Problem is, they cost 20000 And look at where he ended up, selling wings! Well, now it's wing! 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 So anyway, somebody else is wooing the network now over all of this stuff. Well, again, what Brandon Thurston put together is what he estimates, because AEW is a private company. None of these numbers are public. Quite frankly, you can't trust anything Tony Khan would say publicly about any of the numbers at this point. Only accidentally. When he accidentally reveals that Warner Brothers does own some kind of piece of this thing and probably ain't making much out of it. You know, stuff like that. But you can't believe what he says on purpose. But Brandon Thurston estimated that for 2023, AEW altogether by the end of the year will generate around $154 million in net revenue which is an increase from $100 million estimated for last year, and they will lose $34 million. Oh, God! How the fuck? Well, I, we, should, we talk about how the fuck all the time. How many wrestlers get paid by AEW that just sit home and you never see them, or they fly them to wherever and you still don't see them, and he never fires anybody except the people that draw money, 34 and, million. How do you lose uh, 34 well, million? Well, think about that. The, you know, it, it, five guys that couldn't get booked on a lot of indies are probably uh, sitting home making a couple hundred grand a year just that nobody even knows are, are gone. How much did Vince lose? Or more. How much did Vince lose when he cut the water coolers? Six million dollars. Six in one million. Cal in one fiscal year. And I was like, okay, we're changing everything. <laughs> Let's get he back to basics. He took the goddamn water coolers out. He cut the fucking... Office staff's money. He, I mean, it was, it was brutal. But no, that's, and okay, if that's this year, here, they're going to lose 34 million grossing 150 million. How much did they lose last year when they only grossed 100 million? And how much they lose the year before? We heard that Tony had $100 million to spend on his thing. That's that's already got to be gone, right? I would think so. And again, so I he, well, I mean, it's not like he's out. It's just that's what dad gave him to start. So I guess he's had to go back to dad. Because how else is this happening? How can you generate one hundred fifty something million dollars of income and still lose thirty something million dollars in one year? company started from scratch four years ago you know it cost a lot more at the beginning where the fuck's he at on this 
Well, looking at what Brandon Thurston at WrestleNomics put together, I encourage everyone to check this out. Follow along with us at uh, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics or something like that, but get there and get this report. The media business for AEW, which would be TV broadcasts and pay-per-view, is estimated to make up around 60% of the total revenue, around $98 million. So that includes the television deal, and it has an estimated breakdown here. 67 5, 67,500,000 from Warner Brothers Discovery, 2.9 million from ITV, 2 million from Eurosport, $650,000 from Bell Media in Canada, $375,000 from Fight, $300,000 from TNT Siri in Germany, there's $300,000 from Toonami in France. Toonami? Toonami. Followed by another 300000 from ESPN in Oceania. 250000 coming in from DAZN, with another 200000 from Sky in Italy, and 150000 from VIX in Latin America. Rounding out the list... I thought T- VIX made vapor rub. TNT Africa in Sub-Saharan Africa... $150,000, and Premier Sports in the Philippines, $100,000, $0 from Japan for New Japan World. <laughs> that brings it to 75.2. Brandon Thurston is estimating that pay-per-view netted $19 million for the company altogether so, for the year. So they get... What'd you say? Almost ninety million for TV and nineteen million for pay per view. Seventy five million for TV. Or seventy five million for boy, how the worm has turned. We used to have to just do good TV and make the money on pay per view. Now this guy can do shitty television and get paid guaranteed money for it. Brandon Thurston is estimating that AEW will generate around thirty four million in ticket sales from just over five hundred thousand tickets sold. Good Lord, what's the average ticket then? That, the average ticket is $70? That's crazy, isn't it? No wonder there's not a lot of them. Uh, the average ticket sold... Uh, for house shows, the average ticket is $34. For Dynamite, $52. For Collision, 50 For Rampage or Battle of the Belts, 50 For Pay-Per-Views, excluding All-In, 94 And then All-In... $123. Okay, so that's skewing the average somewhat. Yeah, the, we've heard that <laughs> to compensate for not being able to do 80,000 people at Wembley next year, they've jacked the tickets up two and three times. From We've had several emails from people who said the ticket they bought last year, the same thing, cost three times as much in the, in the English pounds. Now, without any firm numbers, again, AEW is a private company. Brandon Thurston is estimating that for consumer products, that would be the video game, that would be e-commerce, that would be merchandising and licensing. $22 million in revenue, he's estimating. So what, if a video game is worth a shit, as far as video games go, what do they normally make? Because we're hearing this thing's a flop, but do we have exact numbers to put to it? The, the thing that was going to save them all at one point. I don't believe we have any... Firm numbers on a video game just yet. I know I just heard, and it sounds crazy because we keep hearing about it being on clearance and no one playing it. They just re-released it for $90 with some bonus content. 
Now, who's going to buy that? It was the bonus content, the patch that fixed everything that wouldn't work the first time around. I think the bonus content may have been like a Hardy and FTR. I, I'm not sure what the bonus content is. Well, but the point I'm making is we know that it, what was your figure you just gave there for all of the consumer products, including the video game? $22 million. Okay, then the video game made less than $22 million. Here, well, let me read what he has and here. Didn't, didn't we hear that it cost $50 million or more to make? This is going to be like one of those things, how many people saw the Beatles at Shea Stadium? I heard $30 million. I heard $60 million. <laughs> I, I've heard different numbers, so I don't know. But according to Brandon Thurston, again from WrestleNomics, licensing is the most difficult segment to estimate. To estimate, I guess I should say. I believe AEW's three biggest licenses this year were with Ukes, which published Fight Forever, Jazzwares, which are the action figures, and Upper Deck, the trading cards. I estimate Ukes revenue at $8 million, Jazzwares at $1.8 million, and Upper Deck at $1.3 million, with an additional $250,000 in miscellaneous partnerships for a total of $11.3 million on product licensing alone. So uh, we had the video game insiders that sent us emails on how these things work, but basically they may have, they paid this company to produce the video game, right? Is what we have come to figure out. And then they get a piece of the goddamn proceeds from the game. And the, the other part is if it sells by Walmart, Walmart gets something, and these uke people thought it was yeet. Now it's uke? No, it's a different thing altogether. Yeet is what Jay Uso is legally allowed to yell out once again. Ukes is what they yell out when it's your game sound, bombs. It's, it's the sound you make right before you throw up. But anyway, um, point being... It wasn't a goddamn giant revenue producer, apparently. It was the video game. And I'm wondering if a video game is successful. Maybe some of the folks out there can tell us. How much is it supposed to make? Well, here's some interesting stuff. Here's what Brandon Thurston, and it says it's the first time he's tried to do this, estimates for the expenses for AEW. Oh, this, I, I got to hear this. And profitability. So let's get to this. For talent expenses, he estimates that the average talent, now average talent, of course, means the people on the low end and the people on the high end all gets weighed together, folks, so don't go crazy thinking everyone's getting this. He estimates the average talent is paid $450,000 annually. <laughs> he counted 188 roster members. Oh, Sam, what am I telling you? Based on the website, which brings total talent compensation to $85 million. That is, oh my God! <laughs> My fucking Christ! That I I I would have never dreamed something like that because even though I knew just from doing this for forty fucking years that he's spending a lot of money on these wrestlers, but and I I heard before the TV show went on the air from people that I spoke to that were actually independent wrestlers saying that so-and-so and such-and-such was getting four and five times as much as he had ever gotten from any other promoter anywhere else to work for Tony. And apparently that has continued. Yeah, I'd like to sign with AEW, but I'm going to lose all these dates where I get paid in hot dogs. Okay, I'll give you 150 k All right. <laughs> sign <Yeah>. tomorrow. <sighs> 
Well, let's go back to Brandon Thurston here. So $85 million is his estimate for talent compensation. Media and event operating expenses, he estimated at $66 million per year, which is broken down. There were five house shows. He estimates they cost $400,000 each. $2 million as the expense. Jesus Christ, that... They... The WWF didn't draw $400,000 when they sold out Madison Square Garden just a little over 20 years ago. And now he's spending that to put a fucking show on. And with these NBA arenas, we talked about it. And, and Well, again, these I'm, are house shows. These are the four house shows or five house shows we're talking about, not even Dynamite. Christ on a cracker. Dynamite, there were 52 of those. 650000 per episode is the estimate. Bringing it to $33,800,000 a year to produce dynamite. Okay, I was going to say that they were probably spending about half a million dollars a week on television, judging from my experience in the, in the industry and what I'm looking at on the screen. And that's not counting the wrestlers. Is that a necessary evil? Well, if you're losing that much money, it wouldn't be necessary, except if you wanted to goddamn go out of business. But since you can afford to lose an unlimited amount of money, apparently, I guess it's, you know, you got to have a TV show, but you don't have to lose goddamn millions of dollars a year on it unless you just have that luxury. Well, there were 27 collisions as well as three separate Rampage Battle of the Belts. Each did 650000 on average. Pay-per-view, excluding all-in, seven of those. The expense is $1,100,000. And bringing it to (laughs) $7,700,000 for the year. And all-in on its own, $3 million was the expense. So I guess if that's $3 million was the expense... What was their gate? Is that just the rent? Does that count any marketing or promotion? Or is that just rent? Well, I, no, I think, well, I mean, he's not counting. He's not doing a specific, you know, accounting of every line item. But I would think that would be the rent, the staffing of the building, the advertising and or, you know, catering and all that other bullshit that goes into putting something on besides talent, which he's figured under a different category. So what what was their gate? Did did they say the gate or did they just say 80 whatever thousand people? If I go up, that's under uh, revenue. For live events, five house shows, average ticket distributed, 2,128. Average ticket sold, 1,915. For total ticket revenue of 330,000. Oh, so they lost money on the house shows, like a hundred grand or whatever from those figures. For Dynamite, 52 episodes, average ticket distributed, 5,065, sold 4,559, revenue, $12,300,000. Well, but again, that's for the live event, which we know that they're losing their ass on these big buildings and etc but they're doing the television show that ties into the rights fee so that you know you can understand losing some money on the house or on the production of the television program because you're making it back on the rights fee and and your that's your sales tool but these numbers are just so unnecessarily large in every category 
The total ticket revenue for All In was $10 million, estimate. For the other pay-per-views, excluding All In, $6 million. Rampage and Battle of the Belts, 40, uh, 40, 480000 And for Collision, $5,100,000. So that's the total ticket revenue for all the live events. Ah, you know, again, the only, nobody would have gone into this looking at those numbers and saying this is a doable thing. We will be able to, to do this and exist as a business, except for somebody that doesn't have to make any money at it. Hey, let me read this. Brandon Thurston says it here. AEW's path to profitability relies largely on getting a strong increase in media rights compensation from Warner Brothers Discovery. If AEW gets a two times increase in TV rights value over about 70 million, that would mean about 140 million annually from domestic media rights, more than double what revenue what the revenue stream may have generated this year. So so much of AEW's future, at least in terms of profitability, I, I shouldn't say their future. The future is if Shad says no more. Enough. Go focus on the soccer team. But in terms of profitability... That's football to you. Well, either one. But in terms of profitability, how are they going to make money? And then, if the... Well, and already we're saying a big and then, because the how can they double the rights fee they're getting now when their own network is talking to the other company? But then... How how crazy is Tony going to go and sign some more wrestlers or spend some more money? And then aren't all those entitled little pricks that he has coddled from day one going to say, well, Tony, now you're getting more money. You give us a raise and he'll do it. You know, he wants to give his little puppy pockets more money. So the, the, again, they're completely amateurs in what they're trying to do and they don't have any frame of reference for what's been done before because only a handful of people in that company have actually worked for a major company that does national television and spends money at this clip and makes it at this clip only actually let me reverse that no major company spends it and makes it at that but they've worked for major companies like the wwf that have made tens of millions of dollars. There's only a few of those people. The rest of them have no frame of reference. They think this is goddamn Camelot. Hey, let's talk about the fact that if we're talking about Raw potentially being sold or pitched to Warner Brothers Discovery, what would they think? If they own a piece of AEW and AEW is completely not profitable, but AEW uses Warner Brothers Discovery platforms, like Bleacher Report, for instance, if it's that Versus, we get out of the wrestling business, we don't own a piece of AEW, and we just get the WWE's TV product. Again, it's hard to think of how AEW is going to sell themselves right now. And I wonder if it's a deal where they they don't necessarily own a piece of AEW, because remember, Tony has said, well, nobody has any of the any voting right but me. Right. Maybe they just say, well, it, it, like the old days, we used to make deals in the wrestling business. If you wanted to get on a local station in Chicago, you would say, tell you what, every time we run Chicago, 
we'll give you 5% of the house or whatever it is if you carry our program. And then the station had a vested interest and the show's running and the show's doing well. Maybe there's something like that where if they hit a certain mark or they run a certain thing or they make certain money, they get a piece of it. Where, because can you imagine if they said, well, Warner Brothers Discovery will give you a piece of the profits, X percent of the profits, and there's never been any profit. There's no profits, Jerry. Then they wouldn't be happy, so they got to be getting something, even though the company is not turning a profit. Yeah, it can't just be they get the pay-per-view share of Bleacher Report for the pay-per-views. That doesn't make it worth it. Uh, yeah, that's not, um, yeah. That wouldn't turn the average television network executive's head. Well, again, very interesting times here, and very interesting time. I mean, even if Warner <laughs> Brothers stays with AEW right now, what's going to happen when their deal comes up? They got to negotiate. How much leverage do they have? Do they have any leverage? They're losing it by the week, it seems. And the public perception is becoming the perception. So. A lot of problems. And if you can't make money, if, you can't, if you're running a business, you can't make money. Can $150 million. Can you imagine generating $150 million? How many millions I'd have in Switzerland? Are you kidding me? You can't make money on that? I remember when Joe Goodhart was running Philadelphia after WCW fucked it up so bad that nobody would go to see them anymore. 91, 92, Joel Goodhart's running those big independent shows that became the, the basis pretty much of ECW, bringing in every star. Remember he had Sheik versus Abdullah the Butcher? He had every star and the Terry Funk and Cactus Jack and Eddie Gilbert. And I remember he went out of business on a sellout. He drew $40,000, filled the fucking building up, and lost money because he was a mark putting together mark matches for marks that, you know, yes, he was selling the tickets in a 2000 seat building, but he was spending so much money to put together the dream card that, uh, that he went out of business selling out. And Tony's a lot like Scazzari in the sense that everyone pats the guy with the checkbook on the back. Oh, I watched Gordon Scazzari just, he had a pack of checks with not even in a register, just a, a pack of checks and just writing them without even recording anything and handing them to fucking guys. And some guy'd come in and say, well, goddamn, I tore my tights. I need, oh, I'm sorry. Here you go. Here's new tights. When they left the room, they'd taken the light switches and they drained him of his blood. Well, that's a heck of a way to end this segment. <laughs> The AEW financial estimate for 2023, the draining of Tony's blood, or maybe his money. But Jim, whether you're dealing with the frustrations of being a wrestling promoter as the walls come crumbling down, or something else, <laughs> maybe CBD can be a solution for you, and we know the best people to get your CBD from. I'll tell you what, yeah, if you're getting some CBD, CB Distillery is the place to go for that CBD, because they will see you later with the BD and you'll like it. I'll tell you, I, know, I don't know what Tony needs as far as medication. I think it may be beyond CB Distillery's wheelhouse to medicate Tony into 
something similar to a normal human relationship. However, if you got problems sleeping, if you're sore after exercise, if if you're just stressed and anxious and you need a calmer mind for the holiday season, that's what CB Distillery can help you with. If you're making $150 million a year at your business and still losing money, they can't help you. But CB Distillery, with their carefully formulated CBD and plant-based solutions and their healing plant compounds made with the highest quality, clean ingredients, no artificial colors, flavors, or preservationists, and with over 2 million happy Preservatives. Satisfi- Preservatives. They got none of those. And with over 2 million customers and a 100% money-back guarantee, well, there you can trust them. You can trust these people because they would not steer you wrong. They would not give you wooings or battery-acid-tasting energy drinks, only clean, fresh ingredients. No artificial colors, so you'll have a calmer mind, better sleep, less pain after exercise, potentially less pain after watching bad television. That the, the jury is still out on that. They're still studying the results. But anecdotally, if you take a couple of these bad boys, AEW television will not haunt you in your dreams. And right now, if you go to cbdistillery.com, and enter the code JCE, you're going to get 20% off. So you can stuff everybody's stocking with the little globules of goodness that will make you feel and sleep and taste and smell oh so much better. Do you know that 46% of the people who take CB distillery products report that they smell better? I did not know. Is this in the copy? Do you know this? Is this official data? Anecdotally, I've been told this by people I can trust on the street. Anecdotally? Yes, that they smell better when they take CB distillery. They can smell a hobo or a bum a mile down the road. I don't know about any of that, but of course, if you're someone who exercises, you work out, maybe the older you get, the, the more sore you get. Not sores, but the more physically sore you are and you need some help. Maybe you need some help getting to sleep. Maybe you're a sore head. You need to calm that troubled mind. That's right, and you would do that somehow. You're at the far end of your tether, and your thoughts run clear together. With CB Distillery, somehow. That's what you take to get, to get, to get past that stuff. And not only that, but 47% of the people say that their loved one or domestic partner says they taste better, too, as well as smelling better and sleeping better and... This is not in the copy, ladies and gentlemen. This I is have not, not tried it. Fact. Actually, I've not. I've not tried, but a little whipped cream on certain spots will make it go down better. Also, but right now, with code JCE, you can stuff all those stockings with twenty percent off the fine products at cbdistillery.com. You don't need a prescription. Just have somebody, maybe your next door neighbor, write a little note for you. Use an assumed name. Put it in, but no prescription is required. 20% off at cbdistillery.com. Enter the code JCE. Sleep like you're never going to wake up again. The sleep of the angels. Sleep like you're going to wake up again, fully rested and comfortable because of the fine CB Distillery CBD products. Yes, and smelling great and tasting good, feeling fine and froggy and ready to hop. Yeah, again, some of those things you will certainly uh, feel some of with CB Distillery's (laughs) products. 
some of those things, there are no guarantees involved, ladies and well, gentlemen. Well, there's no guarantees. That the whole life thing is a crapshoot, Brian. Well, yeah, but... But the one thing you're not doing shooting craps is at CB Distillery. You know what you're going to get there, and it's going to be good. Boy, I tell you what, you could mark this stuff up in an alleyway. No, see, you, sell it I think we're about to end on a high note, and you take it right back literally to the street, right back to the gutter. Well, let's end on a high note. The alleyway. It's the end, man. All right, was that the end of the... Of the spot. You All said right. let's end on a high note. CB the story. What's that promo code one more time, Jim? JCE, man. Just JCE, ladies and gentlemen, not man. JCE. Man. JCE, no man, but man. Man. How about uh we cool you down with some classic audio for a bit? Okay, let's listen to some audio. We've uh previously played some of the trials and tribulations of the Tonga Kid and Roddy Piper and Jimmy Snooker. Here, let's start with this, picking up kind of where we left off from December 8th, 1984. Here's Jimmy Snooker and the Tonga Kid on Blackjack Mulligan's talk show. Together! Welcome once again to Mulligan's Barbecue, Blackjack's Barbecue, and the big question that we all want to know is what has happened to Roddy Piper? I understand by rumors that Roddy Piper has been seen heading south out of Birmingham, Alabama on a Greyhound bus. So I got to say this right now, ladies and gentlemen, I got two of the greatest phenomenal athletes of all time. Jimmy Snuka and the Tonga Kid, and something that people, 90% of my male Tonga Kid and Snuka are about you two phenomenal athletes, and what we really want to know is what in the world do you do on those islands over there, what do you attribute your great success, I've never seen such great bodies and phenomenal agility on athletes, Tonga, how do you do this? Let me stop it real quick, 42 seconds, <laughs> nothing but Blackjack Mulligan talking, but 90% of his male, the Blackjack Mulligan apparently is about Jimmy Snuka and the Tonga Kid. Any thoughts instantly about one of the great talkers, Blackjack Mulligan, actually having one of these WWE talk shows? Well, you know, and I'd forgotten about that because, unfortunately, it's kind of like Blackjack didn't stay long in, in uh, too many places, and he'd get mad about something and leave, and I'd forgotten that he hosted in, what, 84 and I guess early 85, that yeah. talk segment that was... At that time, Mulligan was a babyface in the WWF. Was he even wrestling at that? Was he still wrestling then? Yeah, because Vince got yeah. him and Barry and Rotunda. Like, right around the same time, they just leave Dusty after yeah. they all left Florida for Dusty and come to the WWF. And I guess, and he would end up probably working for, what, till 86, 87, Blackjack? And then that was probably pretty much it. I think he may have left and come back because he was there in 87, I just don't remember if he was there steadily from 84 to yeah. 87. I kind of He was he... never anywhere that long steadily. But point being, yes, Mulligan was one of the great promos, and especially as a babyface in the Carolinas. When he and Lanza were heels, they were, you know, excellent, had that great look and everything. But Mulligan really, you know, came into his own as a major single babyface when he, you know, had that run in the Carolinas. And that's why he gave notice to Vince Sr when he was still one half of the tag team champions, because even the tag team champions in the WWWF in the, what, mid-70s weren't going to make as much money as he could make working for Crockett in North Carolina as a single top babyface attraction in that territory. 
And he did. He, he did great. But, of course, that's why, you know, Mulligan came back a time or two for Vince Jr., but Lanza was a member of the office and an agent and a trusted, you know, jack-of-all-trades until he retired back, what, God, 15 years ago or whatever it was. Well, let's uh, go back to this. Jimmy Snooker and the Tonga Kid talking to Blackjack Mulligan. Well, you know something, brother? Thank you very much for being on this bit. Me and my cousin of mine, we have a good time back home in the islands. He taught me a lot of moves and a lot, a lot of, but there's so many things you can't even understand. We go fishing, we go hunting, and that's all we do. Well, Tonga, let me ask you this one thing. There's a lot of pretty ladies on those islands over there. Is that true? Hey, brother, you wouldn't believe the woman's back home in the island, brother. Well, none other than Tonga Kid. What an interview this is. The woman's. You wouldn't believe the woman's back home. By the way, I like the way you put that question. I understand there's a lot of good-looking women over there. Isn't that true? Or is that true? <laughs> but let's go back to this. Well, and we haven't heard from Snooka yet, because I think Jimmy is probably over there formulating how he's going to save this segment. And none other than Jimmy Superfly Snooka, the man himself, the next world's champion in my books. Jimmy, we've been together a lot of times. When are you going to take me to Fiji with you? Well, brother, let me tell you this. Ladies and gentlemen, it sure is nice to be back. It's nice to be on this Jimmy, can you teach me to play them war drums there in Fiji, brother? Well, let me tell you, my friend, when there's drums, there's a lot of good feeling. And when there's feeling, there's a lot of good thought in mind. But believe me, Jack, if you want to head back for the islands, brother, let's take care of what we came here to take care of, especially like people like you, Piper. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to wrap it up, Jimmy. That's it for this week. <laughs> the Snooker and the Tonga Kid. See you next week, ladies and gentlemen. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. He's, he did a 45-second intro. He blathered with Tonga Kid about the women's in the islands. He went to Jimmy, who he knew was not going to say anything fucking coherent, and after 30 seconds, well, that's all the time we got. Was Blackjack oh, trying too hard? Yes. We said he was one of the greatest promos, and especially as a baby face, and he created, that's where everybody said Bray Wyatt, you know, the, the genes, that it, it was passed down naturally, that he could talk. But Blackjack created characters at Eagle Pass, Texas, and, and you know, the, all the people that he interacted with, just like Dusty did. In his backstory, son of a plumber, T.C. Lee, I was digging ditches with it, whatever. But that's different trying to get yourself over and talk about yourself and your background and, and what you're mad about or what your goals are in wrestling and promos and interviewing other people and trying to draw it out of them. And you had to know because Mulligan had known Snuka since the Carolinas, and even if he just met Tonga Kid, you know, that day, he had to know that he wasn't going to get a lot of goddamn coherent English out of, you know, either one of them at that point in time. And so I think he was trying to fill it up, but then he couldn't even, he couldn't get them to say, hey, I'll invite you to Fiji with me, or yeah, those women are great looking. So yeah, he was trying very hard there. Well, Jim, let's hear some more audio, and uh, we've heard from Tonga and Snuka. Let's hear more from Roddy Piper. This is from December 15th, 1984, a local promo with Mean Gene Okerlund. Spectacular. What a card. By the way, I should remind you 
the Felt Forum will be open with that huge, gigantic closed circuit telecast of the activities taking place in Madison Square Garden. Hulk Hogan, heavyweight champion of the world, with a title defense against former champion, the Iron Sheik. In addition, come on in, Rowdy, Roddy Piper, Jimmy Superfly Snook, and a team up with the Tonga Kid to meet Ace, your bodyguard, Cowboy Bob Orton, and yourself in a tag team bout. I don't follow styles. <laughs> I don't set styles. <laughs> I am style. <laughs> I am the man that made Ace my bodyguard. Bob Orton. Bob Orton come in the ring and take care of the Fijians. And all of a sudden, all the Fijians are all upset. Jimmy Schnooker and the Tonga Kid are so upset. Is it the fact that I am actually going to sit down and look at your bloody blithered body and actually spit and actually spit in your face like I have before? I am king of Madison Square Garden. I made it myself. I didn't build it. I walked in and I took it over. Uh, I'm slick rod. I'm hot rod. I'm the kind of man you want to be. Even when I'm talking to my women, they say, Rod, you're hot. I says, yes, but when I'm hot, I'm cool. You see, I don't want to get better. I just want to get worse. Because when I'm good, brother, I'm good. But when I'm bad, I'm much better. That's what I thought uh, he was going to say. A vociferous and outspoken Rowdy Roddy Piper. Stay tuned. More exciting action coming up in just a moment. All right. How do you rank oh, that one? What can you say again? He talked like nobody else. Nobody sounded like that. Nobody did those things. Nobody said those things. He was a unique personality, and he could draw you in to listen to what the fuck is the matter with this guy. He could be a loose cannon. He could be a dangerous man. If he was a baby face, he knew how to play on people's sympathy and get them behind him as a, as an, a fighter. And a guy with a lot of heart, and if he was a heel, he was the meanest, most disreputable son of a bitch that would spit in your face. And, and he did it all off the top of his head. And for the, for the younger listeners, when they talked about the Felt Forum will be open for closed circuit, they used to sell Madison Square Garden out monthly in the... In the late 70s, early 80s, for the wrestling matches, and they would broadcast to the adjacent building in the complex. The Felt Forum was, what, another four or 5,000 seat building. What's it now, the Paramount Theater? Uh, I don't even know if they call it the Paramount. I think it's just the theater. Now. Whatever the case, but they, they would put a closed circuit screen in to handle the overflow. So people were going to the garden knowing they couldn't get in the garden, but they could watch on TV and next door, what was going to go? That's how hot the business was at that point in New York. And, you know, Piper was a, a big part of that for the first part of the expansion. How about the job Gene Okerlund did there? Well, again, Gene was, he could be the ultimate master of ceremonies. He could do it straight. He could do it with a twinkle in his eye and a little joshiness in his voice. But he was always so smooth and so professional. And he, he'd done it so long, he knew what to get out of guys, especially ones that sometimes you're not like Piper, you had to drag shit out of. Well, let's see how this one goes. Here's from January 12th, 1985. Mean Gene Okerlund with Midnight Express member Wendy Richter. <laughs> All right, in addition, 
Barry Windham to meet Russia Nikolai Volkov, and also Ivan Putsky going against Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Wendy Richter, come on in. I had to bring in the ladies' champion here in the World Wrestling Federation. We told you the challengers were going to be coming at you right and left, and on February the 2nd, Judy Martin to challenge you for this coveted title. That's right. Um, the last time I was in Boston was quite a while ago, and a lot of things have changed since then. I won the championship belt. Cindy Lauper's my manager, and I've learned a lesson, a good lesson. And Judy Martin, I know you want this belt just like every other girl in professional wrestling, but I want it too. And if I could whip Moolah, I think I can handle her too. You know, one of the things, speaking of the fabulous Moolah, that I have noticed about Judy Martin... You know what just hit me? She does her promos the same way Carrie Von Eric does. Well, because they're both from Texas. Next time you hear her talk, tell me you don't hear Carrie. I've seen this... <laughs> This young lady in action many a time, she has many of the fundamental characteristics of Mula, and she's not above bending or breaking a rule occasionally. That's for sure. I can't sell Judy Martin short. Um, I'm sure she's studied a lot of Mula's tactics, and she does a lot of the same things that Mula does, but I'm confident in myself. I've trained hard. I've got a good manager, and I listen to everything she says. All right. I thank you very much, Wendy Richter, the World Wrestling Federation Ladies Champion. I'm going to ask uh, you. Lady, I think it's enough is enough. Let me ask you something. Well, the Iron Sheik stormed the uh, promo there at the end and took over. Well, but, but I had to, I had to giggle because yeah, Wendy, Wendy was a nice girl. Wendy was not a fireball promo, and this actually, girls didn't do promos back in those days because the girls were never featured in any of the territories. They just came in for, you know, a week or two and then they'd move on wherever. And so they never really did television interviews. So Wendy was green and she was, you know, not a, like I said, a, a fantastic promo there. I see what you're talking about with, cause Carrie was always the all shucks baby face type. Also, if you, if you listen for that part of it, but I loved it when, yes, it would be a good thing for Wendy to say, I've got a great manager I'm listening to, but her manager, Cindy Lauper. How the fuck is Cindy Lauper yeah. going to tell a professional wrestler what to fucking do? She just said she listens to her. That means she has the headphones yes. on in the gym. Well, I'm t she said, oh, I've got a great manager. I listen to everything she tells me. I have all of her albums. Yeah, but the point is, she, you know, she was trying to get that thing over, but that was the deal is that, especially at that point in time, a lot of the talent was trying to do regular wrestling promos that you would have done anytime, any place, anywhere up until then, but Vince had put them in some preposterous positions to point where that didn't fly. And listening to your manager, that's a great, you know, thing to say until you realize the manager has never had a wrestling match. It is actually it's a gimmick and it's a pop singer and Wendy was the wrestler. So I'm not sure that she should have been listening to Cindy Lauper's uh, wrestling hints. Well, and of course, Cindy Lauper had a manager, and that was David Wolf, and he was in the middle of all this. Let's go to WWF-TV, Lord Alfred Hayes, hosting an update, February 2nd, 1985. Behind scenes, however, let us go directly to Gene Oakland. Gentlemen, uh, this is Gene Oakland. I'm back in one of the locker rooms here at the Garden, and I am, I am still shell-shocked at what I have just seen. I am literally appalled at the going-ons that I had an opportunity to eyewitness. And we have, we have David Wolf and a doctor being attended to. Cindy Lauper, is there any chance that we can talk to David? I know you're concerned. 
right now. Okay, that that is a. I think that is a, a very. Hold on, David Wolf is strapped to a gurney. Yeah. Strapped, you see the strap? He's laying down strapped to a gurney, not moving. And Gene's like, is it okay if I talk to him? <laughs> Was this this way they did an angle and they beat up David Wolf, right? Well, you remember at the garden when Piper kicked Cindy Lauper, he ends up picking up David Wolf and giving him like a power slam of sorts. That's right, yes. Yes, probably because that was what he was able to grab and do without the other guy knowing what the fuck, how to go with it. Well, let's go back to the literally appalled Gene Okerlund. Very legitimate request on the part of Cindy Lauper, a great presentation that just has turned out to be a nightmare as far as a lot of us here are concerned. Concern being expressed by Cindy Lauper, World Wrestling Federation Ladies Champion, Wendy Richter. Here is the doctor right now. I don't know. And there it uh, cuts off, but how did Gene Ogerland do was there? That, was that, uh, was that uh, Dr. Dr. Schnavitz from Pennsylvania? I'm not sure who this guy was. Maybe he was from the commission, which is even scarier. But uh, what kind of job do you think Gene Ogerland did here, having to show emotion <laughs> and get this over? He sounded like he needed to be riding a bike at the gym a little bit more. He was completely out of breath there. But yeah, I... Again, you know, Gene, his frazzled, uh, his frazzled expression or his frazzled demeanor was one of the best parts. I'm just, I can't believe what I've seen here, the shocking display. It, with that voice and that command and that he was over because he had been on television for the wrestling fans for years and years, he was perfect at conveying that shit and at getting it over. And it was like, like Walter Cronkite. If, you know, at a goddamn site of an assassination or something. It was, he was doing it completely tongue-in-cheek, but he didn't sound like it. If you weren't smart, which most people weren't at that point. Well, let's go a little bit ahead. Let's go to February 16th, 1985. Once again, Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> but they're afraid to really come and say it to my face. <laughs> I sit here with my back to you because... I figured possibly somebody out there would at least like a chance. <laughs> Hulk Hogan said something about it's the size of the fight in the dog. <laughs> I ain't never been to compare to no dog. <laughs> I don't come from no dog. <laughs> it's just, you kick Cindy Lauper and <laughs> how could you kick a woman? <laughs> I says, you know, I'm an equal opportunist. That, you know, a woman hits me, I'll, I'll knock her out. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. It's just, you took that, that poor old hat. Love Lou Albano, the captain. <laughs> Remember the little tidy bull man? I got a job. I got a little ship for you, Captain. Remember in the bowl where the boat used to go around? I'm supposed to feel bad because I I, I kicked accidentally this woman that grabbed a hold of me and, and, and I go I go and I, I nail this big fat slob who has been calling you all kinds of names for years and now because he does something good for muscular dystrophy, everybody's behind him. <laughs> and then and then I look over, I look over and it's 
skinny little geek. <laughs> just a skinny little guy. Who's Wendy? Wendy or Cindy Lopper, whatever her name is. <laughs> his her boyfriend, his, her, whatever she is. <laughs> I took him and I power slammed him, and here comes New York's finest in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Policemen turn in their badges when I come to town. <laughs> and I see, I look over and I see that Jimmy Snooker, he can't run down, you see, because my bodyguard, Ace, Ace is there. I love my bodyguard. <laughs> and Ace has got all kinds of weapons in his hand. He's got chairs. And he's watching my back. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I see Dick Clark. And Dick Clark comes and takes two steps towards me. Like he thought he was going to do something to me. Him selling all them facial products. Can you imagine him do something to hot rod himself, Roddy Piper? <laughs> the only thing you'd be good for after that is, is maybe playing the organ deep down in, the, in some opera house. You remember the Phantom of the Opera? The one with the face all twisted around. And they say, Roddy, how could you be so bad? And I say, you know, even at my worst, I'm best. <laughs> and while my bodyguard is doing his job and He's keeping Jimmy Snooker, the super flyaway legend of wrestling. Uh, in sneaks Hulk Hogan. Like he's going to do something to me, huh? Uh, in sneaks Hulk Hogan in all his glory. But did you notice when he come in and he looked eye to eye, all of a sudden he stopped just, just for a moment. Because he really wasn't sure whether he should come or not. I don't blame you. I am the legend killer. If you're drowning in a river, I'm the kind of guy that'll throw you a rope. But I'll throw you both ends. Well, there it is. Another am amazing Roddy Piper promo coming out of Madison Square Garden and the uh, ceremony for Cindy Lauper and the attack of Roddy Piper. I'll, I'll throw you a rope. I'll throw you both ends. That's a great line. <laughs> you know, line. again, there's no, there's no wonder, no mystery why that he made as much impact as he made and drew the money he did because you could, everything was different. You could listen to it all day. You never knew what he was going to say. You never knew what he was going to do. And we overlook, we talk about his promos all the time. If you go back now and look at Piper's work, which was still, in those days, in the territory days, still different than almost everybody else's. And it looked, he, he had more aggression and more, you know, animosity and more animation than almost anybody else when he was really into it. And, you know, that, that's the kind of thing it gets over. You know, a lot of people talk about Jake Roberts' ability to talk low and not raise his voice. Roddy does both. He talks low and then he raises his voice. What can you learn from that? Because not everyone can obviously talk like Roddy Piper. A lot of people, uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard for a while, tried to talk like <laughs> Roddy Piper, but only one guy can do that way of talking. But in terms of your voice going up and down in a promo, so many people just, here's my promo voice. No matter what happens, this is how you will hear me for the promo. Yeah, and, and I mean, I was always loud and always fast most of the time. Um, but it, it, I would be loud and fast mad, or I'd be loud and fast funny, or I'd be loud and fast scared, or whatever. 
But then every once in a while, you can, you, you can always change things up and it makes it mean more if you're known for one thing. Remember when finally when Paulie clocked me over the head with the fucking phone, that's when I geared it down and leaned over the fucking desk and looked into the camera and wasn't yelling for a little while because I was mad in that in that type of way that people remember that more than than the others because it was different so you can't just you can't just be low-key or you can't be up all the time you have to change everything up depending on the circumstance and how you would react to it if it was legitimate well jim let's end our classic audio segment here this week with some stuff from your wheelhouse Let's go to this promo. I don't have a date on it, but it is Jerry the King Lawler talking about his arch rival, Bill Dundee. I'm sure you'll know the exact date. Okay. The pressure was on Dundee so bad because he was thinking about waking up <laughs> looking like a cue ball in the morning. You know, I told you about his old lady, this old haggy keeps home up in Nashville. She told him, she said, Bill Dundee, let me tell you something. Don't you come home if you lose that hair because I don't want to ever see that ugly face with no hair on it. And it Well, why don't we stop for a second and explain a little bit about what's happening there. And what's going on. That was the first week of September 1977. And Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler had just had another match in their program from that summer. We've talked about it. They worked, I believe, something like 12 out of 13 weeks in a row. And their matches in the main event sold almost 100,000 tickets in Memphis during that time wow. period alone over the summer. That's incredible. And because they had two or three sellouts and then a lot of eight, nine, ten thousands. But um, so uh, they had finally the hair match. Loser gets his head shaved. And neither one of these guys had ever had their head shaved at that point. And the people couldn't call it. And they did a big house and Dundee got his head shaved. And at that night, looking in in, in the back, watching the match, Jerry Jarrett realized I've cut this thing off too early. There's still legs in this, even though they've done this business. And that was just in Memphis. They were every week in Louisville, every week in Evansville, you know, whatever. So Jarrett talked to Dundee afterwards, said, what about Beverly, his wife? Would she want to lose her hair? And basically they brought it back. This was, they were, they were already through the summer, which was traditionally the big time. They were into Labor Day. And they brought it back one more time, Lawler versus Dundee with Beverly's hair at stake. And that's the angle when Lawler was, they had shown the footage on television, which doesn't still exist, of Bill Dundee's head shaving. And then Lawler's doing that promo and talking about, as he said, Bill Dundee's wife, that old hag he keeps home up in Nashville, and she had warned him not to come home bald, and he did. Beverly, Bill's wife, legitimately runs out and starts slapping Lawler in the face, right? And that's when you hear the people pop, and I hey, get her out of here. And, you know, the people, and then Dundee runs out, but instead of attacking Lawler, he runs out and grabs Beverly's arm and drags her out like this was not supposed to happen in any way shape or form and he's dragging her out of the studio and then Lawler starts laughing about it and that's where the 
the promo goes from here if you want to jump back in on it. And his manager, Mickey Poole, doing nothing. Oh, yes. Yeah. His man, his doing nothing. His driver <laughs> is what Mickey Poole was. Mickey Fool, his driver. But go ahead. Let's pick this back up. Jerry Lawler just attacked by Beverly Dundee. <laughs> If I could ask you real quick, how did they mic the studio audience, or did they? They didn't. No, the microphones in the studio were Lance and Dave's. And that's it. And the 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 fans were would scream loud, and because it's a TV studio in a controlled environment, you could hear it. But no, they they were the Lance and Dave had their mics at the desk, and that's why you can kind of hear Lawler because he's off, he's away from Lance, he's off mic. But it still picks up some of him through the middle of all that yelling. That is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Dundee has brought his old lady down here to fight his fight for you. Did you see that? Did you redneck see that? Now, is that the greatest thing you've ever seen? Did you get a shot of that hag on the camera long enough to see that face? Did you get a shot of her or not, huh? This is great. This this has just inspired me. Let me tell you something. This has put an inspiration into me that you don't realize. Because I'm gonna get you, Dundee. I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get your whole stinking family if I have to. But I'm gonna take you Monday night and I'm gonna have no mercy on you. You know what a Texas death match is. Dundee and forget his wife or anything. That's what Dundee would like to do, forget his wife. But let me tell you something, Dundee. Let me tell you something. A Texas death match means we gotta go, brother, until one man quits. Somebody's gotta be unable to continue. You know, Dundee, I ain't no quitter, baby. I beat you into submission last week, and if you think that was something, you wait till this week. I know a lot of people out there say, saying, I'm sick of seeing Lawler beat Dundee's brains out week after week. Let me tell you, people, son. I'm sick of having to beat the boy's brains out. But this today has inspired me. I'm gonna win this one for Dundee's old lady. There's the, uh, there you go. He said, what could, what could even air today? Did you see the face on that ugly old hag? And then he tells Dundee, you're a loser. And I'm going to win this one for your old lady. So she'll realize what a loser that you are. And I'm, it's personal, personal issues, draw money. And Lawler was, that was completely off top of his head. And the only thing that he knew when he went out there was going to happen is once he starts talking about Dundee's old lady, she's going to come out and slap him. And Dundee's going to pull her back and he's going to cut the promo. And they're going to sign the match where the loser, if Dundee, if Lawler loses, he gets his head shaved. And if Dundee loses, his wife gets his head, her head shaved. And she did. And Jerry Jarrett bought her the most expensive wig at the wig store. And that was 1977. I don't have the inflation calculator in front of me, but he paid him $3,000 a piece, $6,000 total for both heads of hair. 
And Dundee had just come over here and Bev with him in 1975 from being a preliminary wrestler in Australia and making no money, specifically because Bobby Shane had told him and George Barnes, go to Tennessee and work for Jerry Jarrett. He'll make you money. You guys will get over there. So he did, and two years later, not only is he the top babyface in the territory and in a program with Lawler that set fucking records, but he made six grand in two weeks in two matches alone besides the big crowds in Louisville and wherever the fuck, which they used to pay the down payment on the first house that he bought in this country up in Hendersonville. So what when what was $6,000 in 1977? Did we look at that? I would say somewhere around 25 to 30 grand, right? I'm going to go with you. You know your stuff. Well, goddammit, hold on. I'm going to I'm going to figure this out while you All right. react to what I just said. I'm going to go to my Google machine. But that was the thing. They agreed to that because they had just come to this country and they wanted a fucking house and there you go. And that's what uh, made the down payment on their first house. And Dundee ended up making a fortune in this territory. Okay, inflation calculator. Boom. In 1977, if you got $6,000, it is equivalent to 30 grand. $30,401 in today's money for two matches over a two-week period, and he wrestled others as well. And of course, they would later become friends again and team up in 1979, but then things would go awry. Let's play one more clip of classic audio here from Jerry Lawler. 1979, I believe. A couple of words about the situation, and I want to make a comment before you get started. We all suspected, we were all pretty sure, but we didn't know for sure until Monday night the true colors of Jerry Lawler. <laughs> you know what your trouble is, Dave? Every time you open your mouth, words come out. Would it be too much to hope for, for a couple of brilliant flashes of silence from you while I'm out here trying to do my interview? Could we count on that from you? We just might as well. Well, yeah. that'll be just great then. Wasn't that a joke while ago to see Bill Dundee Bill Dundee and his little Elvis glasses and that funny-looking little cape, that little sawed-off runt standing out here telling everybody how tough he is, who's he's going to beat. That's like, he's going to beat Ron Bass down there. That's like sending a tadpole to tackle a whale. Let me tell you something, runt. You are nothing just like I said you were, and that film right there proved it. I beat him like a dog. He is not only a bad wrestler, he's stupid. You saw that. He had a chain in his hands. He had a chance to do something for once in the night. What'd he do? He threw it out to those people. What a dope, right, Dave? He is an idiot, baby. Let me tell you something, Bill Dundee. You said I used to make you drive me around and I'd sleep in the back seat. What are you complaining about, boy? At least you got to be in a Lincoln Continental, didn't you? That's as close as you ever come to one Ford, boy. Let me tell you something else. You said he was good for me. Well, you know what? Bill Dundee was just like that big steak dinner, baby. It's good when you eat it, but there comes a time to go to the bathroom, and I just had to get rid of you, Dundee, baby. <laughs> You're through, and I'm through with you. And that makes you finish, baby. You are a loser. 
I am a winner, and I am going to be a winner when I step in that ring Monday night, and I'm going to be a winner when I step out because I am going to be the next world heavyweight champion. Nick Bockwinkle has been a good champion. He's been a great champion. He's been a champion for a long time. And that's his trouble right there, baby. Old Father Time has finally caught up with him. Father Time and the King, and we're going to both do a number on him Monday night. You rednecks out there are looking at the next world heavyweight champion, and when I strut out of that ring with that belt on, old money belt Jerry Jarrett's going to have to pay a pretty penny to get the King back in Memphis, Tennessee. Let me tell you that right now, Davey. How does it feel? to be standing next to the world heavyweight champion. Tell me about it. You're not the champion yet. That's how it feels. Don't worry, baby. Come Monday night, I will be the champion. I'm sorry I said those bad things about you, Dave. You know Dave's really pretty good. He's good. You're good for people's health around town. I heard where every day when you come on to do the weather, a lot of people take long walks. Keep it up, Davey. All right, Jerry! Well, there it is, Jerry Lawler. And let me ask you a couple things right here at the top. What do you think of the 1979 heel turn of Jerry Lawler, which was aborted because of his injury. And did Jerry Lawler make a conscious effort to subdue his Southern accent as he got older? Did he lose it? Or was right, it about the, right about the time he started working with Vince. Okay. <laughs> well, that answers no, that. No, that's what it was. Right about the time he started working with Vince. Because it was predominant up until then. But um, that... <sighs> Again, all off the top of his head, and that that was every Saturday morning, the highlight of Memphis wrestling, whether he was a babyface or whether he was a heel, was when Lawler would come out and talk or something would happen in Lawler's segment. Whether his match or his angle or whatever, that was what everybody watched for. And the promos might be 10 minutes long. That That big argument with Handsome Jimmy Valiant when they were breaking up. Um, or it might, you know, it, it might be, you know, just something like that in and out. But as a heel, he was so believable because everybody in that time period in this part of the country knew a smart ass like Jerry Lawler, a big mouth, a bully, a smart ass, a goddamn shit disturber. And for the people who loved, and especially not just the women, but a lot of the guys by that point had come to really like Dundee, not love him, but like him because he was his matches were so good and he was such an underdog and he fought so fucking hard and he bled. He wasn't a fucking little pussy, right? So the girls loved him and he'd take the pictures with the fucking teddy bears and they'd put it up over their bed and then pleasure themselves at night to it. And the guys still liked him because he was in there bleeding and hitting people with fucking chairs and shit. And so when when Lawler would make remarks like that, it's I've said it a million times. It's like, you know, the 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 joke about your fucking ugly wife is funny to everybody except you because it's your wife that's ugly, right? So if you really like Bill Dundee or you really like the Rock and Roll Express, you don't want to hear these fucking smart ass prick heels insulting them and running them down and Lawler telling the people you hillbilly rednecks you coupon clipping welfare recipients you goddamn he's as country as they are and that's part of the heat because you're from Memphis too you son of a bitch you're just as much of a hillbilly as we are but he's out there saying he's the king 
when everybody knew at that time it was Elvis. And Elvis had just died. And this motherfucker, it's psychology. It doesn't need writers. It doesn't need goddamn overproduction and choreography. Just have a guy with a big mouth that can talk and get people stirred up, go out there and do that. And as I said, that was, you know, Lawler and Dundee were still doing rematches on Burt Prentice's shows 10 years ago based on that fucking program from 77 and then again the start from 79 and then again when they switched it around and Dundee was a heel and Lawler was the baby face in 83 they set the all-time gate record the people in Memphis saw those two guys wrestle over the years literally hundreds of times and they didn't get tired of it anyway that's that, that nobody everybody else is going out and trying to be a fucking thespian and emote and come up with all this cool verbiage that they can say that makes it sound grandiose. No, just go out there and be a fucking asshole and verbally rip that fucking baby face. If the people care about the baby face, they'll get pissed at you. And the baby face, if he's got any fire and any balls, he's going to come back and tell you he's going to shove those words up your ass. And then you got to fucking fight. Yeah, just spit out the word runt. A bunch of times that runt. really does it. Runt, that little midget. That's exactly what he said. He said, he, he, he said to Dundee, he said, Randy Newman wrote that song about you, Dundee. That's ought to be your entrance music when you come out. Short people? Short people. What did you think, uh, Jim, going back to my other question, the 79 Lawler heel run? Yes. What about what was the question? What did you think of it? The fact that oh, he had really it. been established as a baby face and then all of a sudden he turns and then the injury kind of ends anything. Well, see, you got to remember that this was before I was really smart to the intricacies of the business. And selfishly, because Lawler, it had gotten stale with him as a baby face. The first run from 77, right after Elvis died, to summer of 79 about two years it done great but then after the uh, the switch from fuller to back to jared taking over with the tupelo concession stand brawl and etc that summer they needed something else and so they decided to pull the trigger on lawler switching heel and naturally he'd have to do it against dundee and it fucking worked in terms of because I loved heel Lawler because those were the best interviews in wrestling. And I loved heel Lawler because those were the best matches in fucking wrestling. As a babyface, Lawler drew more money and that was his ultimate destiny. But selfishly as just a mark then and a photographer, I wanted to see Jerry Lawler be a heel because he was the best heel in the business. Did he want to be a heel? Because obviously there are a lot of advantages to being the biggest babyface star of that company in Memphis. Well, but at the same time, you know, if if business was down, which it was going into, into that period, you know, he knew he might make more money if, if he could get that over. And the problem was, is that right at that point from, what was that, September-ish, they did that, October-ish, he broke his leg at the end of January. The people that liked him so much, he was still trying to get heat. 
And even though, and that's when he brought Jimmy Hart in to be his manager, he always had a stooge, whether it was Sam Bass, Mickey Poole, fucking Jimmy Hart, whatever. He didn't need a manager. He needed a stooge to pass gimmicks and be the heat guy at ringside. And he was doing all of that. And it was, and he was partners with Jimmy Valiant, who was also a heel at that point. But Jimmy was kind of popular. So it wasn't like the performances were great, but he didn't have a ton of heat like he had at his first go-round as a heel because the people still liked him. And before it really got going, he broke his leg. And then, you know, they had to switch handsome babyface because they needed something at the top. And and then, they, you know, Jarrett put all the heat on Jimmy Hart as the manager. He was really the top heel, not a wrestler. And it just, it didn't get going. And then business went completely in the toilet for almost a year until Lawler was ready to come back. And then when he came back, all the heelishness was forgotten because it was like we've said, he couldn't come back as a heel. The people knew he really broke his leg. They knew at one time from newspaper stories that his career was in jeopardy and the leg wasn't healing properly. So instead of trying to battle against the tide, Jared said, when he comes back, we're going to go completely the opposite way. We're going to make him the absolute number one babyface that we've ever had, and we're going to bring in a series of bounty hunters and challengers from all over the world of wrestling under Jimmy Hart to try to break his leg again. And when they did that from the Funks and Crusher Blackwell and Hulk Hogan and name after name, Austin Idol, Joe LaDuke, that cemented him as the the Memphis wrestling hero. He switched heel again several years later, but that never really took. It was, Lawler was the guy from that point on. All right, Jim. Well, that is the end of the classic audio. And before we wrap things up, one last little bit of audio to play you. Let me get your reaction to this. Here is audio of Ace Steel. Let me get your thoughts on this. Uh uh, there are things none of us can say and none of us will to, you know, I think actually my wife's the only one could probably tell the story since she was there and yeah. maybe someday. Um, as far as that goes, you don't f the family. <laughs> you just don't. You just don't. And uh, we came out just fine. And I have a great lawyer, Stephen P. New, Stephen P. New. Oh, really? He's the wow. man. Let's just put that in the world. Wow. Stephen P. New is a, uh, he's, he's a gem. He is for the wrestlers. He's for the boys. Uh, there are things. Well, let me stop it there. A steel commenting on Stephen P. New. And I guess the big question, Jim, will Stephen remember the little guys like us now that he's big and famous because of a steel? I think he will. We still give him some business. Uh, but, uh, well, it, you know, we weren't going to, you know, be the ones to jump in and broadcast everybody's business. But since, Ace has publicly gone on record there. Yes, um, Ace Steel and CM Punk were represented at various points this year by Stephen P. New and various parts of their issues with their former employers. And that's why Ace Steel is a happy man now and <laughs> free to pursue a life of religious freedom because he tried to go to work and do a job that he was being paid for, but he was interfered with by officials in the company and ostracized so instead he got some of tony khan's money to not go to work and it seems to be a a 
a very habitual thing that a lot of people are doing with that company, but at least this was legally orchestrated in a a manner befitting a an accomplished attorney and barrister like Stephen P. New. But he's, he represents A. Steele. He represents Punk. He represents... Have you heard about Kai Spears? Did you hear what went on there? I've heard about it in the past. What's the latest news? Well, now there's going to be some apologies because, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know that Kai Spears was a an athlete playing for the University of Alabama, and he was slandered by the New York Times because there was a shooting after a ball game involving some people associated with the ball team. But when Kai Spears went to jail to visit these people and left one of the New York Times. Oh, he was in on it too and printed it that this guy who's never been in any trouble and didn't do anything wrong was involved in this shooting and all this illegal activity. And when confronted by Stephen P. New, who always says, I will give any son of a bitch one chance to do the right thing, they would not retract it. So he has filed suit, and now the New York Times will shortly, if they haven't already, be apologizing publicly to Mr. Kai Spears. So whether you're a student athlete, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you work for AEW, whether you're an independent that's being taken advantage of by your trademark being infringed on for yeet, and that has to be settled. Stephen P. New is all over the place. Wait till he comes to California. Colin, it's going to be fun, fun, fun when Stephen P. New hits uh, Calabasas County. That's right. And more about that coming up very, very soon. I know a lot of people have been requesting a podcast one, Colin Thompson, live one, cast media. Then it's all the nefarious parties. An update that is coming. Uh, maybe in the next experience, but certainly very soon. Stay tuned for that. But as you said, Stephen P. Newman, as A. Steele said, someone who, whether you hear about it or not, not only does the work, but enjoys helping wrestlers, enjoys helping people in the wrestling business. So if you're a wrestler what, and you The ones that help, deserve it. The ones that deserve it, yes. If you're a wrestler and you don't uh, you know, suck a dildo in the ring or whatever the fuck they do nowadays, call Stephen P. New if you need some help. At newlawoffice.com or 877-50-STEVE. He's done wonders for a variety of people. He can do even more wonders for you. It'll be wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. That's right. And that's Stephen P. New. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I know there's uh, some John Moxley quotes, but we'll try to get that maybe on the experience or... Uh... Or some other time, but we're yeah, going to wrap. We'll have to run it through one of those automatic translators from dipshit to English. But we've been going a while, and uh, it's two days, and it's been time travel, and that gives you, like, time travel lag. So uh, we need some lag time. So, Jim, any closing words here? Yes, that time travel also is, apparently, it's making my urethra leak. All right, well, those are not the words I expected. With that, the drive through is closed. What a very pleasant little song. We'll be back next week. Jim Cornette Experience. Don't laugh at that. Jim Cornette Experience, wherever you find your favorite shows in a few days. Next week here on this show, patreon.com slash Cornette. $5 a... Yes, that's it. $5 a month gets you access to the archive. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Subscribe today. Closing in on 400000 
All the usual plugs and more next week. For Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!